are listening to Death by DVD's Wild Western Corbucci Christmas Special. Death by DVD does the great silence. This is Death by DVD, and you are listening to the Corbucci Christmas Special. I'm Linnea. And I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. I am Harry Scott Sullivan, and I hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring-ting-tingling. Could it be Santa? <laughs> no, it's the Linus Fitness Center. What a disappointment. <laughs> we thought it could be Santa Claus. It's the Christmas special, though. It's the Death by DVD Christmas special, the, the most wonderful time of the year, some people say. And I, I don't know. Every year I, I have to ask the question, should I have said Christmas? Should we have called this something else? And um, we'll always come back to the answer. I don't fucking care. I don't care. Well, you know, I was listening to uh, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema this week. Nice. And they were discussing whether or not Die Hard and Gremlins are Christmas movies and came to the conclusion that if you want something to be a Christmas movie, it is. And the movie we're talking about tonight, it's set in lots of snow. It's about capitalism. Therefore, to me, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, it covers all the bases. I, th- I think the one rule to a Christmas movie is there should at least be the appearance of snow. And this movie, I think, at least 99% of it is, in fact, snow. And that's only not including indoor scenes. And there's a lot of snow in some of the indoor scenes also. Yeah, if it's not snow, then it's shaving cream. Everybody's got to eat shaving cream sometimes. The great Larry Cohen said that. God rest his soul. But we are going to be discussing for this wonderful Christmas, not a Christmas Christmas special, El Grande Silencio better known as The Great Silence or The Grand Silence. I love saying it in the Italian that I cannot speak and butcher. El Grande Silencio. Alex Cox loves this movie, and I find no more enjoyment than hearing him say the name of the film in Italian. He says it so wonderfully. He's got a beautiful accent. Il Grande Silencio, The Big Silence, directed by Sergio Corbucci. He's uh, a big uh, proponent for this movie. Lots of folks in the UK first caught it when he showed it on uh, Movie Drome in the early 90s. I don't believe I did. In fact, actually, I know I didn't because uh, my friend Mark showed it to me on on Blu-ray about 10 years ago. And like most people, I was utterly crushed by the ending. 
I saw it for the first time. I I believe it would no, it wouldn't have been earlier this year. It was last year when I came up with the Death by DVD segment, The Wild Wild West. I wanted to start doing westerns on this show, and that is it's not a forgotten segment, but we have not. This I guess is the return of the Wild Wild fucking West on Death by DVD, the first western we've done all year. And you'd given me a really terrific list of movies to to nail on the show. This was right before you actually joined Death by DVD. And I think I sat and watched it for the first time then and was in just a, a bit of dismay by the end of the film of, like, I can't talk about this one alone. There's no way that I can sit <laughs> for an hour in front of the microphone and not and just... I, I feel I'd, I would beat the same point over and over and over again. And mm. it, it's... I, I, we Obviously, we've both been re-watching it, preparing for this Christmas special... And it, it is fitting that, and I mean, I don't, I don't mean to project on the audience, but it, it sounds like more people have negative Christmas experiences than they have positive Christmas <laughs> experiences. And boy, howdy, is this just one big negative experience, the whole fucking movie from start to finish. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like uh, visiting your family at Christmas. Uh, you know, there's a few, there's a, there's a few uh, moments of awkward comedy, and but it's just escalating misery and, and and ends in a tragedy. I've brought this up before, but this is one of those movies that shaped the career of Quentin Tarantino. And I, I think the older he gets, the more expressive with violence and negativity his, his, his films become being filled with. And you can really see that it comes from guys like... Sergio, or is it Sergey? I always say his name wrong. It's Sergio. Sergio. He's one, one of the three. One of the, th- oh. one of the three, <laughs> indeed. Sorry, yes. I didn't mean to beat he, you to it. He's, he's Sergio number two. A ma- I, I, I have a hard time picking my favorite Sergios. I know every, most people's is Leone for, for great reasons. I mean, there's obvious reasons for that. I think uh, A Few Dollars More might be the best Western of all time, might be one of the best, oh. like at least top five films of all time. It's it's the best western that's not the good, the bad, and the ugly for me. Yeah, I mean, and that's again, you're you're kind of nailing the same guy, and all of these dudes. I mean, the 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 story of Italian westerns, I, I think, majorly is capitalized on the work of Sergio Leone that he really pinpointed starting everything. But he and Corbucci were were peers; that they were they were friends. Yep. They worked together previously before even getting into westerns. And I don't even mean this disingenuously or saying it in a rude manner, but Sergio Sergio Leone's major achievement was just fucking ripping off Yojimbo scene for scene. And that's that's not problematic because the way he ripped it off scene for scene in his translation is, is, I don't know, this is an argument for another show, but it might actually look better than Yojimbo. I don't know if it's a better movie, but Mm, it might look better. I I, I gotta disagree with you there. Like... um... Like Kurosawa ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah, that's that's that would be a deep. We would need multiple points of argument to defend either or because both films are extraordinarily fucking beautiful. I mean, it's there's not every film is a piece of art, but those certainly fucking are, and there's no debate on either end with with them. Yeah, I well, I think they're both great. Um, I think the one thing that uh, I. a fistful of dollars has that um, Yojimbo doesn't have is uh, two sequels which get exponentially better than the original movie. And I gotta say, we needed more of that Toshiro Mufune. That, there would have been nothing better than a Toshiro Mufune-led Good, Bad, and the Ugly. That, that's the fucking stuff right there. Mm. 
yeah, all, all we got was Sanjiro, which I've not seen for a long time, but uh, yeah, it was okay. I can't think of the name of the movie he did with uh, Charles Bronson in the 70s, but that's a hoot. That was a fun movie. Mm. I have come across that recently, but I also can't think of the name. Shall we Google it rather than leave people in suspense? We may or may not be doing it. See, this is the fun part of the show where the, the, the sound clips come in. The Jeopardy theme returns. Red Sun, 1971. Ah, that's the lad. Yeah. It's by Terrence Young. It's a good film. Had to be something obviously exploitatively <laughs> yeah. based based on it's got a Japanese fella in it. <laughs> One of the, the movies that also was in consideration for the Christmas special simply because there's snow in it, speaking of Charles Bronson, was um, Death Hunt, 1981, which is a, a, a pretty good movie. Lee Marvin, Angie Dickinson, Carl Weathers, the great Carl Weathers is in that movie. And there's another mm-hmm. one, uh, The White Buffalo. That was the top oh, of yeah, my yeah, list. Yeah. I was thinking of those, but... You know, there's just there, I I don't specifically hate Christmas. I I might have years ago as I was younger, and of course we have the wonderful anthem by Fear. Fuck Christmas. Who doesn't love Fear? Have a beer with Fear. Leaving one of the greatest fucking performing musicians of of our time, the next generations and the generation befores. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten nostalgic. I remember Happy Christmases as a kid, and I've kind of. Put put aside being a Grinch, and usually that's that's where I stand on on the Grinch Hill, looking down at Whoville, very fucking angry, and I don't understand where people's joy comes from. But this movie immediately can wipe away any form of Christmas cheer. <laughs> all all holly jolly things just get stripped out the door in the first like five minutes of the film. You begin immediately. And it, it feels almost dystopic because you're in this just snow-cast land. Mm. Everything is is so. Abrasive. Totally does. It's yeah. It's 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 like a post-apocalypse. This need not be a western. It could be the same universe as the road or something. You get that a lot from. Uh, I find with uh, Italian westerns, they are like a sort of universe unto themselves. Really, the effect is heightened if you watch um, the Italian vocal tracks because, like, why are they speaking Italian? I don't know. It's a it's a it's a mirror universe. It's like hard to be a god or something, you know. Before we really get deep into this movie, I'll bring this up. If you've never seen The Great Silence, El Grande Silenzo. Uh, we're gonna spoil the living shit out of it, so this is a good place for a spoiler warning. But if you do decide to watch this movie, I implore you, I beg of you, even if you cannot stand reading translations. Don't watch the fucking dub of this movie. The dub. Uh, uh, it, yeah, sorry. It, no, I mean it's it, the groan is needed. The dub just ruins the experience. This is a very I hate saying nihilistic because I don't think inherently it's nihilistic. It's capitalistic, that's for sure. If it if it fits any of the istics, but it's it's a beautiful film. It's gorgeously paced, and in the Italian, despite that also being a dub, it's much more natural. Uh, even though it's it's an American Western, you assume they'd be speaking English. The Italian is more complimentary to the film. It makes it run better. Most of the English was recorded in very joking manners. It makes it very, very silly. Uh, it's like a Bonanza episode at some points, and <laughs> nothing about this movie should be taken lightly. We've neglected mm. to state the, the, the not the star, but I would say the star of this movie, Mr. Klaus Kinski, uh, Santa Claus himself, Father Christmas. <laughs> Who doesn't think of Klaus Kinski when they think of Christmas? Filled with Christmas cheer, the the former Nazi Klaus Kinski. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wasn't like a he wasn't like Kanye West, you know. He wasn't a Nazi Nazi, but he <laughs> he got conscripted into the German army. Oh, Klaus Kinski, he's delightful though. 
Well, reportedly when he was uh, introduced to Frank Wolf, um, uh, the sheriff in the movie, he uh, refused to shake his hands, uh, saying that he was German and he didn't like Jews. And then later on, when uh, when Corbucci had um, convinced Frank Wolf not to strangle Kinski, uh, Kinski uh, tried to explain that uh, it was t- <laughs> it was to uh, to get Frank Wolf into character, to make him hate him, and uh, they never spoke the rest of the shoot. Yeah, he good job accomplished. You you did it, Klaus. You right off the bat, how to win friends and uh, you know I don't I don't remember the name of that book. How to win friends and impress people by Klaus Kinski. But holy shit, <laughs> do you believe him? I, I'm not sure I do. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I, I wouldn't want to get into a political debate with Klaus Kinski, but I don't know if he hated anything per se. He was fucking insane. I think he. I think he hated everything by the same yeah. thing. I, I, you can't tell he either loved life so much he hated everything or he genuinely was the definition of, of a misanthrope. And it's, it's he's somebody's in this day and age, it's hard to discuss because you can't say things like, I like Klaus Kinski, uh, you know, because all Nazi thing. And there are some other wild accusations about Klaus that are better left on Google. Yeah. You can you can Google all that fun stuff yourself. But when it comes to playing a crazy motherfucker, he is the guy that you want mm. and when you watch the american dub of this movie it's like some guy from like hoboken ish area he's got a very squeaky voice it does not like it's a voice that would be very suitable for giovanni lombardo radice not yeah. klaus kinski i i don't know i was with you to begin with um when re-watching the dub because i first saw it dubbed well it it's all dubbed i mean in english yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but then i sort of settled into it and I would imagine that um, Frank Wolf and Vanetta McGee are dubbing themselves, though I couldn't confirm that either way. Um, I didn't think it was too bad, and I, I thought Kinski's voice, it, yeah, it's a little silly, but it, it, it's, it kind of mirrors the, uh, the approach they took um, with the Italian dub. Like, uh, sort of... He's a he's kind of weaselly and and sort of brings out some of the more um, effeminate affectations of his performance. Uh, Klaus Kinski's natural voice is is eerily similar to the "Get in the back of the van" guy from mm-hmm. fucking with Nail and I. He he was a yeah. screeching hoot owl of a human being. Yes, I bet. Uh, but I I and I'm not I I some I it's I don't know why I'm stuttering because it's a true statement I'm saying here. I don't really give a fuck per se about dubs i mean if it's what it's whatever i've got i'm gonna watch the movie and try my best to enjoy it so if it's a dub hey that's great if the movie i've been told a thousand times is better with its original i'll, I'll try my best to find it we were discussing this on a recent episode especially when it comes to like godzilla movies sometimes those are fun uh shaw brothers films especially their dubs can be a lot of fun but i try my my hardest to stick to, to the authentic, whatever the original release language was of this movie. And I just find yeah. it to be, it's much more complimentary in the case of this film. I think it's, I also think it's a bit quieter. I think the American track, just, just kind of nitpicking here, seems to run and be a bit more abrasive and runs louder as a stereo track as to where the fucking Italian one just fits with the Ennio Morricone soundtrack. We didn't bring that up either. Fucking the guy, the guy himself, the king of soundtracks. We'll, we'll get to that. 
Yeah, <laughs> got all sorts of stuff. We did pick a winner, though. I mean, it's a couple of years ago. Joe Bob did Phantasm for Christmas, and people got so upset. Which, for one, how fucking dare you? It's Phantasm. You should <laughs> deal with it. But this movie, by the end of the episode, I think will end up being the definitive Christmas episode. And oh, also, I, I Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Just just for the GGMT thing, it's a Christmas movie. I'm sorry, guys. I'm gonna go with yeah. It. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well. Um... I think they leaned more heavily in favor of Gremlins being a Christmas movie than Die Hard, which is a movie which takes place on Christmas. Yeah, it's not. It's I, Christmas isn't the core of the movie, but the core of Gremlins is him receiving the Mogwai as a gift from yes. his father. So it's yes. all gift giving. It's all Christmas. It's just fucking incidental. It's, it's predicated on on Christmas, but then again, so is Die Hard because they're having a Christmas party. Yeah, but he's not. Is he visiting his wife because it's Christmas? I think that's the question. What what is bringing him to to L.A. to visit his wife? Uh, I think he is. Um, so they have kids, because then it would be that. Yeah, I know later on in the series he definitely have kids, but that that would be my ultimate question to dictate whether or not it is. If the, if the if the plot points on Christmas, if he's traveling to L.A. to see his wife because it's Christmas, but I also for some reason feel he might be traveling to L.A. to discuss the divorce, because I think they're just separated. Uh, I don't anyway. know. <laughs> <Yeah, I'm> just... <laughs> <That's> not... <laughs> this, this will be a multi-chaptered episode where the, the prelogue is the die-hard beginning, and then we seep back into the the fucking great, and, and I have nothing against die-hard, but it can't stand on any legs compared to Sergio Corbucci films. Any of them. Well, well, yeah, okay. I don't think it's trying to. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm I'm just picking a fight with Die Hard to get at. <laughs> Fuck you, Bruce Willis. Uh, which no, I'm not. I, I shouldn't say that anymore. <laughs> Damn, I forgot. You know, he's got a thing going on, and you can't make fun of him. And I'm not. You know, God bless you, Bruce. Sorry. Fucking digging my own grave. Uh, Sergio Carbucci, El Grande Silencio. 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 Yeah. Shit. I gotta stop doing that. I'm I'm mixing Spanish, Italian, and everything else. Anyway, what the fuck were we talking about? Yeah, the dub track. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the uh, the balance of um of the mix is better in the Italian one, and plus all of the three commentaries that I uh, watched on the Blu-ray copy that I have from Eureka, which is really excellent. They were based around um, having the uh, the Italian vocal track on. Unless there's an option to change that, which I don't think there is. So, yeah. I don't know who put out the American Blu-ray that I have, but it is not um, the Master of Cinema series, maybe? I'm not sure, but it's it's not. That's the same guys, I think, but... Well, it's it's it it's Masters of Cinema. I thought it was a subset of Eureka, but maybe they did for both, and Eureka is just the distributor for the UK. Yeah, if you do in- inquire to get this movie to have in your collection, I I would go with the Eureka set. The American has a, a great documentary about spaghetti westerns on it, and you will be delighted if you're a fan of Alex Cox because he's on there and he talks about the film, mm. and that's about it. So this one's a, little, a bit backward. I think all the audience knows I usually go to hell and back studying and trying to figure out every fucking thing I can about the movie. And all I did was watch it this time. And and sometimes that's all you need, <laughs> though. That I mean, you, you both of us having the same information wouldn't do well. <laughs> um, I, uh, well, maybe we'll cut this back in. But yes, uh, Masters of Cinema is a series established by Eureka 
Um, so I think you have basically the same Blu-ray I do with less commentaries. That's probably the only uh, difference. It must have been some sort of licensing issue, which is is a shame. But still, the film on itself, it it it, it you don't need anything else. And of course, we're 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 talking above, I guess, what the average audience is going to be interested in. You just want to fucking know about this movie because it's the Christmas yeah. special. So who the fuck cares? I, but it's still, you know, there's there's at least one person out there that's like, no, I was interested in that, goddamn it. Well, <laughs> well, for for that person, um, I highly recommend the Mike Siegel commentary on the Eureka disc. It's uh, is very informative. If you uh, like me, you like your commentaries to be full of factoids, background information, then that's the one. Yeah, it, there's nothing worse than a commentary that's just a couple people talking about how much they like the movie that had nothing to do with it, and that more often than not with film historian commentaries will just be somebody talking about the first time they saw the movie, which we already managed to do, and we did that pretty briefly. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't want your film commentary to be the equivalent of this podcast now, do you? And we at least might have some facts and trivia, possibly, when it comes to this movie. And this is, I mean, it's this is something lifelong that I think Corbucci wanted to do from his very first steps out of Sword and Sorcery and Sword and Sandal films. He didn't so much do a sorcery movie, but he definitely did Gladiator Sword movies. Sword and Sandals, yeah. Yeah, not not a lot of witchery and over-the-top stuff. <laughs> no, that, that, that came in the 80s. But he wanted to, I mean, that was his first idea for a Western. He wanted to do something in the snow, and it's pretty much fuck you. You know, and you got to look back, 1960 to 1963, even moving into the 70s, the world of filmmaking was so different, and what you had to use to get some of these shots was crazy. You can't just erase with a computer all the footprints in the snow. If you want one perfect shot, you kind of got to get that one perfect shot, which puts a great deal of pressure on the artist, and he wasn't able to get that perfect snowy western for years he ended up making though in in the meantime one of the most important and i think quintessential westerns spaghetti or not that everyone should see django the one yeah. the only the true django a century ago on the low hills along the border between the southern states and turbulent mexico a mystery man appeared a man with a sad impenetrable face Yeah. Um, <laughs> editor's note: Now is a a nice opportunity to drop in the Thrones cover of the Django theme because that's rad. Apparently, um, he originally wanted to make Django in the snow, but couldn't do it for budgetary reasons, as you've uh, already alluded to. So he kept that idea in, in his back pocket, and then uh, when Django was a big hit, he uh, he managed to get the money together to do it. Um, and his reasons for doing it in the snow were apparently because he wanted a skiing holiday with his family in the uh, the Italian Dolomites. Most of the film looks so surreal at times. It's it's a little hard to believe it's authentic snow, and you 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 
kind of lose track of that. And there's, I know a lot of reshoots and uh, multiple endings for this film. I'm not sure if the original ending is also covered in shaving cream, but <laughs> you, you start seeing it on the actors after a point in time and you start realizing like, fuck, they're, they're getting killed out there. They are actually freezing their balls off in yeah. the snow. And it's complimentary to what you're watching that it's believable. People, especially in the earlier Italian spaghetti westerns right before you move into 1970s, nobody fucking really acted. And and Corbucci's one of the kings of a method that Lucio Fulci used a great deal of times. Hmm. Most of the dialogue wasn't even being said for the sake of acting. He would just tell the actors, count to ten and just do that. It doesn't matter. Do it in any language you want to, which Fulci loved to do. He would have people just sing, do the alphabet, did not matter while they were shooting the scene because all of it, <laughs> no matter what, is dubbed back in. That sometimes annoys me, though. I, I do like it to force the fucking actors to do the one job they are hired for. Make them run the dialogue. If they don't speak Italian, make them fucking do it in English. I don't... <laughs> it's it's the, uh, the ritual of acting. And sometimes you can see it when you're watching and you're following the mouths and the movements, especially if it's an English film. You can see, like, Lee Van Cleef, I don't think, ever counted to ten. That motherfucker said his lines, no matter what his lines were. And in this film, it really looks like most people did, too. It looks like Kinski was probably screaming. Most of the time. <laughs> and no matter what, his voice doesn't entirely match. But whatever, it still works. Yeah, well, um, on that point, I had another reason this film, well, well, the reason why um, silence is silent um, goes back to Corbucci discussing with Marcello Mastriani um, that he he wanted to be in a western but was concerned that he couldn't speak english not that you needed to speak english because of the reasons you've just described but um so he proposed that if he were in a western then he would play a mute when um, corbucci came to be discussing making uh, the great silence with um uh Trintignon, he had the same concern and uh, lo and behold he was cast as a mute. I think that's a good segue for us to bring up what exactly this movie is about. Once my husband told me of this man, he avenges our wrongs. They call him silent. Because wherever he goes, the silence of death follows. Tell me something, old-timer. Are we within the jurisdiction of Snow Hill County? Yeah. You can rest or hang anyone you want. Thanks a lot. Look who's the man that you want. He killed my husband. How much do you want for him? Say, boy, you're trying to force me to draw, ain't you? But I'm not losing my temper of that, I'm sure. Have you forgotten who he is? He picks a fight, and when somebody draws it, he shoots him. But you're the man he's here to get. Sooner or later, you're going to meet up with someone faster than you. 
Well, that'll be an amusing day. We have a a mute Punisher. He is a bit like Frank Castle, and we'll learn is, his yes. origin. Yeah, I lo- I loved that immediately. That. He he's he's not so much the Italian Terminator, but he seeks justice while also uh, we'll get more into this. Before, I, I'm I'm over complicating the plot. We've got a guy that hmm. seeks revenge on bounty killers. This world takes place. This movie takes place in a world uh, that is. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Hold on, let me restart that sentence. This movie takes place in Utah in 1899 before a great blizzard is about to hit, and the snow is so dr- drastic and dramatic that most people in the town are forced to steal to try and and have food a simple way of life with their families they're completely cut off from society and there's this prick that lives in the town who starts running bounties on people's heads so he can collect their land he can kind of take over this entire territory and a crazed group of bounty killers led by his name in the Italian version is Little Tiger and in the English version they call him yeah it sounds so much better it's it's even just Little Tiger yeah, he's loco in the English version, led by not our hero, Klaus Kinski, and he's he's demented, he's depraved, he is an absolute sociopathic, psychotic, every bad thing you can imagine. He takes great pleasure in killing people that easily could have been turned in to the law. And there's a group of outlaws that are living outside of the town. They're not even really outlaws, they've just been stealing to survive. They are forced to eat horses, they can't get into town, they're waiting for the governor, who eventually is going to take pious pity on all these people, he's going to find that, you know, let's let's grant them a will or a stay and a preve because they're not bad people, they couldn't get food, we can completely understand it. Everyone understands this, and Loco is preying upon them one by one, evilly killing them, men, women, and children, all together, until our hero, Silence, enters the picture, and he's just as bad as they are. But we mm. still have him as a hero, and that's uh, I'm overcomplicating again. What the, I could have just read fucking the IMDb thing. I should have. <laughs> I will next time. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, but um, from the get go, as you said, is Silence the hero? Like, like he has his own motivation for doing what he's what he's doing. Um, and tellingly, at one point, Silence accepts the same amount of money to kill Loco or Tigrero that loco accepted to uh to murder the husband of um Vanetta McGee's character who's now employing silence to take revenge it seemed like a lot to a thousand dollars to kill a guy in 1899 and there's some mafia Jeez, yeah. i don't know if the, i don't know if that's spaghetti western dollars or what I thought it was like three thousand to kill someone in Scarface. So that's like, whoa, <laughs> damn, that's well, very, very expensive. Silence. Yeah, he. There's, there's a, a great deal of diplomacy in this movie, and I think it's immediate, and a lot of it's trickery because the very first scene of the movie is we're introduced to Silence, and we have these bounty killers that are going to attack him and kill him, and he shoots off their their thumbs, and he let, leaves one alive because you can't. You can't kill an unarmed man. You can't fight somebody that can never hold a gun. And that person is killed by another survivor in that scene. And it, it introduces us into this relay where we assume we're supposed to like 
silence because he's the very first person we saw. We we're following his plight. But as the movie goes forward, Corbucci shows us the evil inside of everyone, that it's established right off the bat, Klaus Kinski's evil, but with Silence, it's not so much that he is, it's, it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, he's more of a chaotic neutral sort of thing, or a, or a neutral evil, he's not going out into the world to specifically cause harm, but the good he thinks he's doing, which is murdering and avenging other people, is just genocide. The killing of killers is, is perpetuating death, and, and that's the act of genocide. So you're not doing anything mm. fucking better than anybody else. D do we spoil the film at this juncture? or? Uh... I, that's the, the difficult thing with an open discussion. I mean, we can. Uh, I, I love how WatchSkip Plus does it. They have a, a spoiler point to no spoiler point, so maybe we can try and adopt that a little. Um, but it's up to you. I mean, this is the Christmas special, so I'm just going to keep saying that to remind the audience. <laughs> Well, we'll come back to it later on, but um, and at the film's climax, what would usually be a typical showdown between good and evil is is very much not that. Yeah, the ending's fucked, or as Guy Ritchie would say, proper fucked. It is. <laughs> it's 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 one of those things where it's like it's a fucking ending. I don't know what more you want, and uh, I brought up earlier there are multiple endings to this movie, mm. and, and in a brief while, when we get to our spoiler zone, sorry, Jose and Justin, we're stealing your format a little bit. We'll we'll talk more. <laughs> it works it's, so well. Yes, welcome to uh, Death DVD Plus. Yeah, you can watch or skip this. <laughs> that That's for sure. Just let it play for 60 seconds, or you know what would be a great favor to our d dead studio audience? Just, uh... Load Death by DVD on Spotify at night before you go to sleep and hit play. I'm pissed off we didn't show up in that many people's Spotify wrapped. Where are you guys? What the? F I thought you loved us. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling a little hurt that no one's tagged me in a fucking Spotify wrapped yet. But all right. I get it. Yeah, sorry. You, you, like we we weren't in mind this year because like now I'm on the show. I don't fucking listen to it. <laughs> and there's only been like five real episodes this year, and you're on all of them. So <laughs> that's the problem. I do. I give shout out to Alexander Dash. We did a great episode about Cemetery Man. One of the better episodes of this year. That was yeah, a good I listen, one. I, I listened to that one. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, uh, leave that one on play, guys. Let, let let me feel better about myself and get us a thousand downloads on that. Oh, back to the fucking Christmas special. Yeah, now now when it's when when you actually say out loud, spoiler free, I'm just like, well, I don't know what this movie's about. I've never, <laughs> I've not watched it five times this week. Uh, well, it, we've already covered it. It's about capitalism. It's about uh, it's it's hard to talk about without spoiling. It's. Well, I mean, we can. We're we're on the first act, so I mean, moving in from there with the introduction of of our characters, Silence, and then we are introduced to in that same breath. Silence's introduction allows the introduction of Loco, played by Klaus Kinski, and once you have these two, that duality sets in of one's a hero, one's not. But what's really expressive, and and uh, all political parties, I feel at the end are the same. And what's going on in the UK is very similar to what's going on in the United States. But for just an American analogy, we have the Republicans, we have the Democrats, we got the Trump people, we got the Biden people. But at the end of the day, neither of them are really different people. Now they say they are, and they act like they do different things, but it's not even that they're so far left and right that they're the same thing. 
They're just kind of the same thing, and they, at the end of the day, don't give a fuck about you. They only care about money. And using that analogy, and I'm not just saying Joe Biden, you could fucking say Jimmy Carter or Kennedy, any Democrat, any Republican, the, the machine cares about money, and that's the, the big thing. There isn't really a difference between silence or Little Tiger, a.k.a. Cujo, it's not his fucking name, Loco, that that's all they care about. <laughs> That's all that they're driven by. It's all that manipulates their will. And the big difference is I think one is a little bit less twisted than the other because for the price of any money, Klaus Kinski will just fucking kill you. That's what he's paid to do. It's his job. But silence is like a cat. He toys with his victims and he forces them to draw first. So he has this illusion in his mind that he's still a good guy because he shot somebody that was going to injure him. And I think that's mm. really manipulative and kind of dark for the character. Yeah. And and he started down this path, um, obviously because of his backstory where, where he was uh, where his, his, his family who were outlaws, um, uh, were goaded into surrendering by bounty killers posing as the law. Um, and then massacred, and then silence was silenced by having his vocal cords cut. So silence begins um, on his sort of quest for revenge in a sort of righteous mode like um, by exacting his revenge on the people that wronged him. But then he carries on... Um, purporting to be this avenger whilst as you say like operating in a similar world and along a similar lines to kinski's character and the other thing that that's noteworthy as well a lot of a lot of in this film and in spaghetti westerns and westerns generally hinges around you know the like shootouts like duels between like two or three characters like Famously, the ending of um, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Or you could bring up the ending of The Wild Bunch, which might be the ultimate shootout <laughs> ending of yeah. all time. But um, but everyone refers to Silence as being faster. But he's not faster. He just has that, that automatic gun. <laughs> which He just has superior technology. Um, in a hand-to-hand fight... King Kinski, who he's you know not a big guy, kicks his ass. You've got the typical bravado that's laid out, I think, from Sergio Leone. That we've got to. This, I mean, this is really too is the ultimate play on Clint Eastwood's character. That the man with mm. no name himself rarely speaks. I don't think it's still the good, the bad, and the ugly that he has more than a handful of dialogue throughout the film. And now we've got the ultimate man with no name. It's just silence. He doesn't say an, a fucking word. We've got somebody mm. equally handsome with the stubble and they smoke the cigar. But the difference is there's uh, an ambiguity with Leone's films. I don't, th and especially coming from the world of Akira Kurosawa, it's much more almost mystical and mythical to me that this man with no name doesn't stand for good or evil. He is just a player in this universe. Oh, with this, yeah, certainly. I mean, like, like for instance, like who is the good and the good, the bad and the ugly? I mean, like Clint ain't that good, <laughs> like. I think it's it's a, 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 I hate using the word over and over again, but I think it's a real duality of all of these personalities and that we're just existing, especially with Leone, with personalities. And in this film, it's the exact same characters. 
that it's it's like two queens trying to play against each other on a chessboard. They have the same moves, they can do the same thing, and there's really no way to outsmart each other. And you you playfully are misdirected through most of this movie. And by no means am I going to suggest Kinski's character is the hero. There is no heroes at all, because when we get to the spoiler section, we'll, we'll get more in detail with all of that. But you have this hope, and you start following Silence's story, and it really misdirects you into, into believing that there is this duality, that there's this difference. And I think the, the political analogy is the most useful in this, because like I, I vote blue these last few elections. So I get nonstop, I get text messages, I get emails from all these campaigns, from all these fucking people, donate me some money. Me, me, need, me need some money now, money me. They're, they're just like Charlie Kelly, just screaming, where's my money, where's my money? And it's only when elections come along, no, no other time of the year, they don't ever offer me any fucking money. They're not trying to get me anything at all. And I know conservatives, Republicans, same fucking texts are going through. Everyone can see that Donald Trump shit on his website and mailing list. Give me money. Give me your money. We're going to do the greatest campaign. That's all they ask for. There's never any other questions. There's never any other services that are provided. And Shadow... Shadow. That's American Gods. Similar characters, though. Silence. He, he seems like he's this kind of white knight good guy. But at the end of the day, he ends up fucking the wife of this guy who was murdered by Klaus Kinski, who's already paid him $1,000 to get this job done. Like, you're, you're overreaching here. You are as bad as the people you try to, to dismay the world of. You know, he's an exterminator, but he's also a roach. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you said earlier that um, you wouldn't argue that Kinski's character is the hero, and I'm, you know, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't either. But you could argue that Kinski's character is perhaps the protagonist. Yeah, he's indirectly involved. I mean, there's and and to to strengthen your argument, there's a beautiful scene in this movie where we have three leads. We have this very inept sheriff. He's a is a soldier who's given this job by the governor to go out to this town and to get some sort of law and order in while they can figure out what to do with all of these outlaws and all of these bounty killers. And the newly appointed sheriff Klaus Kinski's character Loco and Silence are all on a carriage together. A, a, a stagecoach, baby, a stagecoach. Yep. And it's a obviously silent scene because silence can't fucking talk. But all of these characters working against, like, they all know who each other are. They're aware of what's going on. And none of them seem to have, they don't have a problem with each other. It's not like, I'm going to kill you because you're this sort of thing. It's not until money's involved that there's any sort of discrepancy. And that scene follows with Klaus Kinski sitting, being talked to by the fucking, I can't even think of what to call him. He's also a protagonist, the character who has set all of this up and may or may not have been in Silence's past or his childhood. Oh, he was, he, definitely. You mean Luigi Pistilli's character, uh, pa pa Polycott. He's, uh, oh, sorry, we, we're into spoilers now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck Whoops! It. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we find out that this guy, this well, you find, I, I, it's obviously throughout the movie, he wears leather gloves the whole time and he doesn't have fucking thumbs. And that's Silence's trademark. He'll shoot off mm. somebody's thumbs. So not only did this guy, he was part of the raiding party that killed Silence's father and mother and slit his throat and silenced him as a child and now this chap is the justice of the peace for the town he's uh the, the sort of uh, capitalistic head of um this little community and uh and, and he's a motherfucker yeah, terrible <laughs> 
And him and the the scene I'm discussing or bringing up with him and Kinski sitting at the table, Klaus even says, well, you you paid me to kill her husband, and that's what I did. He didn't pay me to do anything else. If you, yeah. I'm not going to go kill this guy. And he's mm. trying to – he's a bit of a Yago. He's, he's trying to – Use that. Uh, uh, I always forget. I need to say where my references are from. That's an Othello <laughs> reference. He's he's a very manipulative, evil character. Yeah, somebody said to me in an email, "You guys reference so much stuff on the show, but you never say where it's from." And sometimes I, I guess I fucking expect a little bit. <laughs> I'm, Yago should have been a fucking easy reference for you. I'm sorry, but he's a bastard, and he's playing the cards to do whatever is necessary for him. And he's yep. teasing Klaus, like, go out and waste this guy. Kill mm. him. And, yeah. and, uh, and he's got a, a lot of dignity. He's he's just a businessman. He says, you know, you paid me to kill his wife. I, I'm not going to worry about him. I've not done anything to personally insult him. If he gets a price on my head, then I'm just going to have to be very, very careful, aren't I? He's he's not antagonizing the situation by any fucking means. He's no, just kind of... He's, he's, like, he's just there to make money. Yeah, it's like Max, or, or rather, not even Max, the Lord Humongous and the Road Warrior. <laughs> he's not—he's a, a bad guy, yeah, we all know that, but he was just fucking getting some gasoline until Max came. <laughs> well, yeah, that, 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 that's an apt comparison, to be honest. Like, uh, going back to this uh, spaghetti westerns being their own sort of little... Uh, a post-apocalyptic pocket dimension. It does feel very Mad Maxian. Um, the the one uh, detail that you that you didn't sort of clarify um, was that Polycott had paid uh, Kinski local to loco Tigero um, to kill Vinette McGee's husband because he wanted to make her his mistress. So so yeah. So yeah, so yeah. From from that perspective, like he, like Polycott is the true villain, and uh, well, I mean, like Kinski's a villain too, but he's just, but 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 he's motivated purely purely by money, not money and lust. He's a typical villain. Yeah, he's just doing this for work. It's what he's good. And I'm not saying that by any means of sympathizing. It's the same thing you can say about the Nazis. They were just doing what they were told to do. You know, you got in the military. And, <laughs> which, it's it's that fucking mentality. But no, he's just kind of fucking at work, doing his own stuff. He's evil. And the, and the, the evil's outlined even kind of sarcastically. And I think one of the darkest moments, there's a lot in this film. There's There's equally beautiful just pristine shots. There's some great sequences of art in this film, and then there are some just ghastly, very ghoul-like dark mm -hmm. moments. Uh, and, and Klaus Kinski kills this woman's husband, and as he's riding away, he tells her, well, keep the body packed on ice, because I'll be back in a few days. Don't bury it. And then laughs to himself and says something along the effects of like, ha, what a world when a black guy is the same price as a white guy, and just <laughs> rides off. And even what? in the era, I mean, you're looking at what the the... When, when, what are we talking here? The Great Silence. Well, when it was 1968. Yeah, so late 60s, early sh 70s. Sh shot in 1967. Oh, that's a point, actually. I mean, radically, politically, I think even that statement would have been shocking in 68, as it is just as jarring now. But yeah, no, I'm done. I'm sorry. Yeah, to. Um, could have cut this in the intro, really. But um, yeah, it was released in Rome in on Christmas in 1967. So it is a Christmas movie. It drove and had a Christmas release so that defined, and it's got snow. Yeah, I mean, like imagine taking your family out to the cinema in Rome, Christmas 1967, to watch uh, watch a western. 
some fun family entertainment. You know, pretty sure that it's not going to end really horribly. Well, we definitely know that year for Christmas, Clint Eastwood was in Rome, and he ended up seeing this movie, and as the story goes, 20th Century Fox purchased it to do a remake starring Clint Eastwood, and eventually the head of 20th Century Fox saw the movie and was like, what the fuck? Fuck you guys, no. We're, this is the worst thing I've ever seen, ever, ever. And two or three years later, I think 1972, a terrible, fucking awful movie, John Saxon and Clint Eastwood, Joe Kidd came out, mm. takes place in the snow, takes place in Utah, like 1899, and he's using a repeating Mauser handgun. Yep. So... The uh, and I'm I'm parroting exactly what Alex Cox has to say about the movie here, but the acquisition by 20th Century Fox made this movie almost unseeable. Like it it did not end up getting a full release in the United States because of that. According to the Mike Segal uh, commentary, the the Clint connection uh, wasn't the deciding factor in uh, the film getting buried for 20 years. It was it was purely that that guy from Fox hated it. And it's I, I I can't say I I don't understand like I can I, especially this is as I hate calling them this but it's what they're fucking called revisionist westerns as a revisionist western and somebody that was a longtime producer of classical and John Ford and Houston westerns I'm sure he just died watching this movie I can I can see older audiences not being able to take how hopeless and at the end of the day that's the greatest word for this movie how hopeless this all is. Hmm. I bet Clint fucking loved it, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, even something like Pale Rider later on in his career, oh. there there's a lot of comparisons. High, plays, High Plains Drifter as well. Yeah, just the, the darkness. And uh, it, politically, it's strange now. I don't think he'd, he'd see the same light in this movie, but as, as a younger man, I, we hmm. can't say exactly where he stood, but... It, it's very, very left. This movie pushes very left. And it's funny because yeah. Corbucci hated hated the hippie movement. He hated the free love movement. But he was by no means a conservative. Well, yeah. Um, Cox, in the supplementary materials on the disc, describes him as an old school leftist. Um, just like, uh, <laughs> like politically left, but, uh, you know, not into all that hippie shit. Yeah, I mean, you could say the same thing for most metalheads. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> Just look at Napalm Death. They fucking hate hippies, but they're also vegans, and they're some of the loudest, greatest grind on the planet. Yeah, nice people, too. Truly, I met Shane Embry a few years ago, and he is just a delight, wonderful human being. He smelled like pine and sandalwood. <laughs> True. <bet> did. <laughs> and this was after a gig. I was like, whoa, what's going Shane Embry sweats incense. Beautiful person. Listen to more Napalm Death. Uh, talking about music, you know, that brings us in a little bit, too, that um, I, I had mentioned earlier. Ennio Morricone did the score mm. for this film, and boy, is it an appropriate soundtrack. It begins very beautifully, and as it transgresses throughout the film, it gets darker and darker and mm. a lot more atmospheric, almost. Um, you know, there's no sense, but it's almost kind of droney. Oh, yeah, like there's, there's incredible choir sections. Um one sequence uh, in the climactic scene where it sounds like a horror movie. I mean, and what's on screen is kind of like a horror movie too, so it's entirely appropriate. But um, but yeah, but it's it, it feels like a different world to your typical Western. But then this is a different world to your typical Western. 
Yeah, I really liked what we had gotten into at the beginning of the show, that it, it almost suits this movie and makes it scarier if you imagine that this isn't 1899, but mm. 100 years from now or 200 years from now, that it could work either way. And mm. the the costuming for the movie is, is very unique. All these characters are wearing very long shawls. Klaus Kinski has a beautiful shawl that he wears under his hat and, and covers his face with. And I'm not... I'm not sure with this. If this isn't what they meant it to be, it's still terrifying, and I'd love to use this in a story or something one day. But I've always wondered when silence is introduced, he's got this great uh, long hair that flows across his coat, and it looks almost like his hair. And eventually mm. when he takes his jacket off, you realize it's not. I've always wondered if that was scalps that he has sewn upon his jacket. And that's just... When you really start thinking about it, the first time you see your character, he is killing somebody, but you're, you're led to believe it's in self-defense, but he's wearing a fucking coat made out of other people's hair? <laughs> mm. Whoa! Yeah, and he's killing people for money. He's been hired the same way Loco's been hired. Which is inherently evil. I mean, I, I, not to get more political on the show, but I believe murder in general. I don't think there's a fucking justification for it. I'm not pro-death penalty at all. I think killing is evil. Yeah. Um, at one point in Silence's defense is when he cannot kill, he'll just shoot your thumbs off so you can't operate a gun. So... But those situations also only arise because he starts them. He goes mm. into every situation antagonizing it that mo he won't he won't shoot just to kill he makes them do something first which to me is a little he's got to get some sort of enjoyment about it that's like playing with your victim that's a little little sociopathic and evil and again he's doing so with an automatic weapon which most characters in the movie well all the characters in the movie don't have so he has an unfair advantage against them people say that he's faster but he's not he just has the better technology yeah, I really, uh, in my head, it could just have been a costuming thing, and they needed some jackets with hair, and so they glued some women's wigs onto it. But I really like to believe that they are scalps that he's adorned his coat with, and that really changes the direction of the character when you think about mm. it. That means he's taken the time to fucking skin someone's head and, and learn how to stitch and sew, cure them so they don't rot, and sew them onto his jacket. That's a lot of time spent for fashion, buddy. That's pretty <laughs> fucking Jeffrey Dahmer-ish. Yeah. You know, Ed Gein and his nipple belt. That's not a normal hero sort of thing. And that's it works. I mean, we're, we're, we've already talked about this, but when you're watching any average Western, and especially like uh, John Ford talking about Stagecoach for a moment, there's a lot of false leads. You've got the two leads at the beginning of the movie, then you get the drunk doctor and... You've got the Carradine character who is is the, the Doc Holliday type. Then John Wayne enters the picture and his bravado, he's so cool, he's so tough, but he also is a, is a bad guy. He's being arrested at that first scene when they encounter him and he has to forfeit his gun, he put all his stuff on, he joins the stagecoach and he ends up fighting for the greater good of them and we find out that he's an outlaw. So we too, I mean that's one of the earliest, most prolific uh, grand westerns of all time, and and westerns were were greatly B pictures. They weren't the money making machine that they they became in their their beginnings. So when Ford post silent era came back and gave that misdirection, it started a whole generation on 
the outlaw, the bad guy can also be a hero. And we, for some reason, never question like, well, he's an outlaw. What has he done? Is he a murderer? Is he a bank robber? Is he kill women mm. and children? What sort of character is he? We just put this hope in it because we know, well, the outlaw can also be a good guy. But if he's wearing somebody's hair on his coat, <laughs> you know, I, I, you, you have a juxtaposition of all of these ideas and they're all pun intended, silently introduced to you throughout the film uh, where you, you start really reflecting and thinking about it when you have this yin and yang of evil. Like, neither of them are, are any... No one really, except the sheriff, I think the only innocent character would be this poor, inept, dumb bastard, which I don't really like the character. I, he's, he's comedic, and I don't think this movie needed a comedic uh, break, but... I don't think he's that comedic, at least not in the Italian... Uh, of a, uh, vocal yeah, he's just sort of a dumb bastard in the Italian version, but in the English version, he's kind of a funny dumb. But he's a Gomer Pyle from the Andy Griffith Show kind of <laughs> guy. And uh, the, I mean, in the Italian version, it's not even that he's dumb; he's just inept. He's not ready for this job, and he's taking it very seriously, and no one takes him serious. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's kind of the, that's the counterpoint to the other characters, though, isn't it? Is like he's doing, he's trying to do things properly and um, by the book. Um, but he's just shown to be a bit of an idiot because you know because that's that's not the world he's living in. He's living in fucking Mad Max land. Um, uh, he's second Lieutenant Gorman coming into Hadley's hope. Trying <laughs> he's to, not to... that bad. Warning. 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 Incoming spoilers. Warning. <laughs> he's, he's fucking, yeah, he doesn't get everybody killed. Well, but yeah, he does. I mean, he well, does he, the he same has, thing. Well, he does, yeah, he does get everybody oh, we're killed. We're in the spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, hey, Merry Christmas, everybody fucking dies. We've gotten to the point of spoilers. I'll, I'll put a little, when we're editing this, there'll be some fucking alarm or something. Mm. The, uh, yeah. the deep-voiced announcer guy finally gets to an appear on an episode this year as the yeah. spoiler alarm. So we're in the spoiler territory. Merry Christmas. Everyone dies. It's it's like it's a wonderful life if the angel hadn't come after yeah. he jumped off the bridge and he just fucking drowns. Yeah, it's it this movie is the antithesis to those um cloying memes you see on Facebook and Instagram about uh you know, the universe being there for you and achieving your potential. It's like, nah, everything sucks <laughs> and you're gonna be eaten up and spat out. <laughs> uh. Yeah, we learn at the end of this film, sometimes, no matter how hard you try, shit doesn't always work out. But a lot of what we've been bringing, it's not always that things don't work out. I, I don't think it's as nihilistic as it appears. Because when you really start 
digesting this movie and looking at why the characters are doing what they're doing. You play with fire, you get burned. Uh, looking at the movie Heat, you've, you've got one of the greatest lines of dialogue ever. It's all in the juice, man. That's uh, all that matters. It's just that excitement. I think with both Silence and Loco, and we learn at the very beginning with Loco that he doesn't have to kill these people. He could easily take them in. He enjoys watching death. He enjoys hurting people. He's found a job where he is able to do that. If it's only a matter of revenge for silence, then in the same essence, he's getting joy out of this. He enjoys watching these people die and inflicting pain on them. Mm. So both of them are kind of the worst type of evil in the world. They they manipulate people into causing their own demise. And that's just what Loco does, is he cons and he, he goes to people's mothers and says, if you get your son to turn himself in, I won't hurt him. Then immediately will kill the son in front of the mother just for that pleasure as to where silence makes somebody draw. He forces them into action to kill them. I don't know, same guy. Yeah, I, I think the crucial difference is that uh, silence is bought into his own hype. And uh, and he believes that he is the righteous character that everyone else believes he is, whereas um, Loco is kind of comfortable in being a fucking prick. Yeah, I don't think he necessarily thinks he's evil, but he he openly acknowledges he's not a good person, but he's good at his job and he can live with it. Um, he talks a bit more, but he's a bit reminiscent of someone like Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. Mm. You have no exposition on this character. You know nothing about him. You know he's a cartel hitman, and that's it. Seemingly emotionless, but how do we know this just isn't a job for him? When I go to work, I'm emotionless. I don't care. I'm doing the job that I'm paid to do. I try to do it with as much excellence and skill that I can do it with because that's my my work ethic. And then I go home, and I, I have a completely different set of emotions mm-hmm. despite whatever the job is. So their job might be fucking killing people, but what's to say that they're not doing it the best they can and they go home and they're, you know, world's greatest dad. Well, yeah, but silence, um, what silence is silence. Silence is taken on. His whole identity is is based around, like, his righteous path. Um, uh, Well, in doing the job that he does. Like, he's... He's essentially providing the service that Loco does, but for the people on the opposite side that local Loco works for. Um, but he's made it his entire personality, whereas Loco, you know, <laughs> like he's a motherfucker, but he seems like he, uh, you know, <laughs> he, he has a bit more going on. It could even be something, uh, we've brought this up a bit much and touching back on the Halloween episodes of Michael Myers. He was told so long he was evil, he just accepts it. Toward the beginning of the film, when silence arrives in this town that has, has been cast off from society because of the snow, a woman whose son was recently killed by Loco comes up to him and says, I know who you are. You're the hero who avenges people. Mm. So a lot of this prophecy could have been projected on him where he's no better. He's just an alternative to bounty killers. Yeah, um, I was going to bring that up, actually. Um, My earlier comment that you could argue that um, Loco is the protagonist because Silence is barely a character, really. He's kind of... uh, he he's just he's he's a bit like michael like he's like a positive michael myers in a way like well positive with reservations that we've already talked about he's just a shape he's a force he's a force for vengeance 
um, and any character he does have comes through um, uh, Jean-Louis uh, Trotignon's like really fucking amazing performance of just using his face and body to convey a lot of emotion. This is a bit more of a conservative thought here and admittedly right wing, but also between these characters and what they stand for is Loco is usually hired by some form of law enforcement mm. to kill someone that has already been found guilty and not always kill them. A bounty hunter's job is to bring the body or the person back. So he is hired to find someone that has been found guilty by a court of law of a crime and bring them back for justice or to collect the ward on their head as to where silence kills the people hired to do that. So he's a job of revenge in total. So I, I'm not, especially the characters in the movie, attempting to defend Loco, but let's say they go out and they waste some child fuckers and then you hire silence to go kill those guys. I mean, yeah, one good doesn't cancel the evil, you know. Yeah, um, well, the, the only caveat to that is that um, Loco's bounties have been set by um, Polycott, who, you know, is corrupt as fuck and is in in one particular case uh well he set them all to make loco and his friends some money um which i imagine he has some kickbacks from but um in one particular case with uh pauline's husband he's he set that bounty because he wants to bang her yeah but i mean it's not like this is loco's first job he's got to have worked before so it's it's probably obvious in this film's universe that he's crooked and it will kill for sport and pleasure so everyone's i think identity precedes them that we know the townspeople are aware of who silence is and they're aware of loco that these people are outlaws and legends in their own right so it's kind of like two mystical forces fighting against each other and then with the conclusion of the film it, it's just such a sigh. It's such a drawback because you really expect there to be some sort of victory and possibly there is, but it's you You assumingly are following silence as the hero of this entire film and our hero does not survive this film. Yeah, not in a triumphant uh, John Woo, Che and Fat kind of way either. It's just complete desolation. And he's taken out after they realize he's he's much more of a myth than anything else. And just what you've been discussing, he's not the fastest person in the West. He's not incredibly skilled. They realize his weakness, and he's taken out. It's a setup, of course, but once they his hands are shot, and he goes right then and there. That men, myths, legend, there's nothing more in between it. It was just two killers killing each other. And it, it does seem like... Loco is a bit sympathetic. I don't. I think he enjoyed mm. the game. I think he's sad it's over. He's not sad that shadows are yeah. silence. I don't know why I keep calling him Shadow. Um, well, like I said, I think Silence bought into his own hype, and at, at, in, the, in the final moment where he is in, he's invited to this confrontation to save all the outlaws, even though he's like in a bad way, having had his hand burnt and he's already been shot. Um, he kind of does it because he assumes that he's the hero and he will prevail, even though he's clearly working, you know, walking into a trap. And his sacrifice will ultimately be pointless. Death by DVD. Death by DVD. 
Well, we're missing a key point here is that after an altercation in the saloon where Silence tries to get Loco to draw, he ends up killing everyone but Loco. Then when he throws Loco uh, a gun and Loco actually goes for it, the sheriff intervenes, which again, that's not a very heroic move on Silence's part. The sheriff intervenes and arrests Loco and is going to take him to the next town. But uh, en route, Loco pretends to go for a poo uh, and then uncovers a uh, a rifle that he's stashed in the snow and um, forces the sheriff onto the ice and then shoots at the ice and sends the uh, sheriff plummet into his doom. And then he can ride out via a incredible shot in the snowy mountains um, to uh, a cabin where his um, bounty killer associates are holed up, inform them that uh, Silence killed um, one of their brothers uh, in the saloon shootout and bring them back um, to deal with Silence. Uh, and in the meantime, Prior to all this, the uh, the sheriff had told the outlaws up in the mountains that um, the pardons they've been expecting are coming in, and he's basically neutralized the uh, the bounty killer threat by arresting Loco, um, and they're all hungry, and he's arranged for them uh, to have a wagon loaded up with food. And then, unfortunately, the incoming outlaws come in to get their pardon and, and to, to feed themselves, meet with Loco and his gang. Yeah, and then meanwhile, whilst all this is going on, um, Silence is uh, accosted by Polycott and his henchmen and gets pretty fucked up whilst Polycott attempts to, to rape Pauline. Silence eventually gets the upper hand and kills Polycott and his uh, minion. But uh... And just to briefly interject, this is also the sequence that throughout the entire movie we don't know what has driven Silence to find his occupation. And in these moments, in the last 20 minutes or so of the film, is when we finally unveiled that Polycott was part of the crew of bounty killers that attacked his family as a child and murdered his parents and slit his throat. Well, it had been revealed previously before that a group of bounty killers had killed his parents and slit his throat. Um, it's made apparent that, uh, well, it, it, it's apparent from that scene that Polycott was one of them. But then it's there's a further flashback when that shows him killing those bounty killers and shooting Polycott's thumbs off. So does wait does is the hit put on the woman's husband before or after Polycott knows that Silence has come to town because that could change drastically his character itself that he might actually be trying to lure Silence into his own behavior of attacking first by doing all these awful things to him. Uh, that's not entirely clear. I mean, like Polycott puts the hit on Pauline's husband because he wants to bang Pauline. I think he's, I guess he's aware of Silence having had his fucking thumb shot off by him, but uh, but I don't think he, he does that purely to lure Silence in. But then he might. 
I think I'm, I'm, I'm overthinking it with that because all these scenes kind of happen in domino effect one after the other that when silence is introduced, it drops the domino that perfectly allows us to see Loco's character because the person... The, the, because the people that are attacking Silence in the first scene, he's defended by these hill outlaws, and one of the hill outlaws shoots one of the people that Silence left defenseless by removing their thumbs. He's fed up with this shit and decides to go home and is immediately killed by Klaus Kinski. So all these characters' actions are introduced, all, well, all of the actions of these characters introduce reactions via other characters mm. that continuously exasperate the story. Mm. But also similar to politics, you know, you have this multi-headed fucking demon dragon monster monster and you're looking at all of them polycott's not even the lead bad guy because there's got to be somebody that's appointed him and financed him we don't mm. I mean going deeper into who the governor is it's all just this uh excellent series of deception i mean you almost have a, a tom clancy level of fucking deception in this movie is when you really start looking at these characters everyone's working for their own ulterior motives and all of those motives are still quite evil. I mean, even in a biblical sense, thou shalt not fucking kill. You're breaking one of the, the what, the fifth? One of the biggest commandments, but still. Important one. <laughs> it makes you wonder, at this point, is Silence even attempting to save them? That he mm. is in this awful battle, he, he gets deeply wounded, his hand is hurt, he's been shot in the shoulder. Is it so much... I have to go save these people, or is it more of a pride thing that he yeah. he's well, attacking like said, the situation? He's brought into his own hype. I mean, and Pauline ta tells him, you know, that they're going to kill these people either way, like yeah, no matter what. Yeah, so let's just fuck off at this movie. <laughs> like, come on, you know. But he just walks up there, you know, in a terrible state. Not even uh, what you know. Not even his technology is going to help him in this situation. And and then he's gunned down in uh, like almost <laughs> Fulchian fashion. You know what? Suddenly, this popped into my head. It reminds me a bit of Pulp Fiction, that throughout the the whole movie, we know Vincent Vega is is pretty fucked up. He he can do whatever he wants to. He's got a great deal of power, mm. and then he's taken a shit mm -hmm. in his most most defenseless position. And he gets fucking killed. Sorry, guys. Spoilers for, for Tarantino's <laughs> yeah, 1994 Pulp Fiction. Don't know if you've heard of that one. Very rare film. But it, it's sort of the same thing that we're led this whole movie. This character is so suave. He's so cool. And a, a great deal of focus is given on Vincent. We got the whole subplot with Uma Thurman and the OD scene with Eric Stoltz and all that nonsense. And he just fucking gets killed taking a shit. Mm. Just so easily thrown right to the side. And it's really as jarring with this. It's, mm. it's probably my least favorite part of Pulp Fiction, too, because you really like the character no matter what. Mm. Like, Vin Vincent's awesome. Yep. Way better than his brother. Every well, I mean, and who doesn't like Mr. Blonde? <laughs> I think if you like... Uh, you can tell a person's personality if they say something like, you know, Mr. White's my favorite character in Reservoir Dogs. All right, you fucking narc. Fucking I bet you reminded the teacher that there was fucking homework due to Mr. White. Get the fuck out of here. Blonde or nothing. Uh, and you you are almost disappointed. Like, it, it gives you this terrible flavor in your mouth, like, what the fuck? Silence just got killed. I thought there was going to be something else. And I think the greatest compliment to that scene is, but wait, there's more. Silence doesn't just get killed, but the girl gets killed too. Everybody fucking dies. There is no happy ending. But all of these characters, life was, and, and anger, it was just so completely vain. Were any of them actually living? Were they, were they doing anything more than writhing and surviving an absolute hatred? 
Hey, it's not really life. When you said Mr. White and called uh, his supporters a knock, did you mean Mr. Orange? Because Mr. White is uh, Kaitel's character. Yeah, but he fucking hangs out with Mr. Orange and feels bad <laughs> at the end. And then he got that whole shootout where he's like, put the fucking gun down. I repeat, like you asshole, you're defending. I just don't like Mr. White. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't like him. I, Kai, it's not. It's nothing against Kaitel. That guy's a golden god to me. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I love him, but Mr. White, whenever somebody tries to defend the character, it's like, yeah, you'd, you'd let a fucking cop in the building, wouldn't you? A Mr. White is the same person that would be bit in a zombie movie and not tell anyone. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I, I, I'm Mr. Pink all the way because he has the sense to get the fuck out of the movie, which is what Silence and Pauline should have done. And they don't tip in your country. so you yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Works out even better. I, I'm not going to... I already said I liked Mr. Blonde, but yeah, whatever. I've already painted a poor picture of myself, haven't I? Look, somebody's <laughs> got to fucking have a cop in the trunk of the car. At least one person has to do something. And it, 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 that's a good contrast also with these Tarantino-isms, is you really like Mr. Blonde. He's charming. Michael Madsen is so surreal as that character, and that's kind of what's going on here with Klaus Kinski. And I can say mm. is, is most cases for Klaus Kinski's career. I mean, especially like uh, the, the Herzog Nosferatu He's a fucking vampire that eats people, man. He's not a good person. But fuck Jonathan Harker. Nobody matters in that story. I mean, Isabella Johnny, yes, because it's Isabella Johnny. But you're following Kinski. That's all that... Even even Crawl Space. I don't... I couldn't tell you any other person in that movie aside from Klaus Kinski and him being fucking batshit crazy in a Crawl Space. But it works so well for that charming, dynamic villain. And as you brought up, we have such a duality because Klaus Kinski isn't what I, I would call um, a beautiful man uh, by by any means. He was I wouldn't say he was ugly, but compared to who he's up against, he's against somebody that is traditionally regarded as beautiful, and that I think even furthers. You know, well, it's the the ugly guy is going to be the bad guy, and you could even go to say that maybe that casting could have been indicative of the ugliness inside of. Silence is far worse, uh, but that's a bit much. I think Kla <laughs> Kinski was just fucking there. You know, <laughs> that's why he got the job. I don't know. I, I wouldn't call Kinski ugly, but I know what you mean. Like, like Kinski's got like a he, he's like a Willem Dafoe. He's got like just a really striking face that looks incredible on film. He's he's just a just a just a great screen presence. So yeah, it's um, I mean this this endless cycle of violence was started by um some baby killers pretending to be the law and killing Silence's parents, then one of them becomes an actual representative of the law. And then Silence has an outlaw, but what he's not no, he's not an outlaw, sorry. He's um he's murdering by the law in a way because he's just um because he won't draw first. But doesn't that almost seem like cowardice and that he is almost rigging the fights? He mm. knows he's going to win with that automatic pistol and he knows that he's going to lure someone into... Even in one sequence, he pisses a guy off by, by leaving a door open and the dude just kind of jerks toward his gun. I don't even think he has his hand on it by the time <laughs> silence is laying into him. So it's very... it's 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 it, To me, is a touch of cowardice and definitely he's a bully. I I think he gets pleasure out of it. And I think it's his sport. Yeah, it's just like hunting. But, 
what I was trying to get at was this sort of... Sorry, bit, I'm sorry. That's all right. I've lost my train of thought now, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, it doesn't take much, don't worry. Um, but yeah, it's just this this cycle of intertwining intertwining assholism like like you say like like silence is kind of a bully but he's bullying bullies but um but but you know no one's clean in this situation and it's 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 all just a fucking mess and uh but i mean like the columbine kids felt like that that, that we're getting back at the bullies it's also kind of a taxi driver joker mm-hmm. hate that goddamn shit but you know i'm getting back at the world that he he he's almost an incel type that's so removed from society he thinks he's doing good but you're yeah. still fucking killing people well you're stuck <laughs> <laughs> like we're running down the character of silence far more than he deserves perhaps but but yeah. but but uh but yeah like like you know like you said uh like go into the sort of incel point going that goes back to my uh previous example that like this guy without his fancy gun he's a bit of a fucking weed like kleiskinski can knock him out and kleiskinski's about you know five foot tall well kleiskinski still didn't fuck the dead guy's wife i thought that was one of the most immoral marks of his character is he doesn't take the money for it and she brings it up she's like look i'm not i'm gonna have a hard time getting this money but um look i'll fuck you for it how about these? And he says no. He's like, no, I'm I'm too good for that. And then once it's okay, once she's, uh, and I don't want to say she's weakened by the experience, but her guard is down and she's starting to trust in him. It seems like he takes advantage of that, and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck you anyhow. I I disagree. I mean, like, it's an appropriate juncture to uh, discuss um character Pauline, um, portrayed by Vanette uh, McGee, who, who is fucking amazing. Like yeah. uh, in her first screen role, like re- really strong presence, and I don't, I, I, yeah, all right, you know, it's it. I mean, <laughs> you know, you if uh, <laughs> if if not for the snow, you could say that her husband's corpse is not even cold, but everything's fucking cold there. But you know, <laughs> but but you know, it's clearly like her agency. I think in that in that scene where uh, where they make love i think for me it just seems like uh, an abuse of power that that what draws you to this previously you didn't want to have sex with her so by having sex with her you're showing that you did have interest in it but now all of a sudden it's okay because it's not a job and it's it's again almost um, like a diversive false lead that here it's romantic i i disagree i think i think it's romantic i mean they've just been through an intense experience and they'll they're kind of letting off some steam and like you know maybe my problem is the fact that it's romantic like i don't think any touch of of romanticism should have been in no, it at I, the same I, time I, I think it's perfect because it has that um that wonderful um bit of music by Morricone, which is simultaneously uh romantic and kind of forlorn and kind of like a portent of doom and then that music reappears at the end in the shootout that's not yeah. a shootout i was gonna say you know the the sheriff could have survived and found his horse and they could have used that music for that scene but it wouldn't <laughs> And, and, and well, I, get, I gotta give credence. You know, I'm, it, it's I, I think both of us have value in uh, the direction you want to take it to. You can look at it in my way, but mine does seem, admittedly, a bit more. Um, 
I don't know, square. It's just a very square aspect. But I don't... I think at this point in the movie, some of my problems is it's unveiling and we're learning that Silence isn't really a hero. And you get this, like, touching, nice scene with him and it, it, it just misleads me more into feeling bad. I don't know what to feel bad about. I don't, I, I don't think he was ever a hero. Like, like from from the get-go, he's using an automatic weapon on, on guys. Uh, and that, but but riding on this uh, uh, this uh, reputation that he's the fastest draw, um, and then in the sort of one of the main confrontations, he gets his ass kicked, and then tries to goad the villain into into drawing like he's Jack Palance's character in Shane. But you give him this tender moment, it, it gives you this exposition that he is a good guy, he gets something, he's getting to have sex, he gets the woman, and obviously at the end of the film you see the, the misdirection was, uh, I would even dare say, a bit fucking Hitchcockian, because you get that, that huge surprise, after the fuck scene you're just assuming, like, well they're not gonna... They're not going to show tenderness. They're not going to allow you to feel this tenderness and then waste these characters. And they absolutely do. They kill them fucking mm-hmm. both. And I, I don't know. I just could have lived without it. I, I would I would have liked to use the space to instill more nothingness. I like the idea of, of silence having no emotion. And that's something I found interesting with Loco is he doesn't want to fuck. He just wants to kill. Mm-hmm. He likes to fight. He likes the insanity. But now that we have this, this softness with silence... Well, yeah, okay. Well, then, uh, as a juxtaposition between Loco and Silence, then is is not Loco the final form of Silence? He's uh, he's gotten rid of his attachments and learned to just take pleasure in what he's good at. Again, I can I, another Heat reference. He's gotten down pat with having no attachment to anything. Guy told me one time. Don't let yourself get attached to anything. You are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. Now, if you're around me and you got to move when I move, how do you expect to keep a, a marriage? Well, that's an interesting point. What are you, a monk? I have a woman. What do you tell her? I tell her I'm a salesman. Which draws to not so much a conclusion of the film, but with these characters, you have to to look. I think that's the most intriguing, beautiful thing with this movie is the duality between them, that they are one and the same, but they are so removed and so different. And it comes deeply down to ego. Silence could have easily survived if he hadn't, as as you keep saying, believed his own hype. He set himself up for failure by just assuming he was going to be some sort of savior, and you're just another killer. Yeah. You're just another body on the hill. The closest he gets is his um, stigmata-like wounds just before he's fucking basically mercy killed by a loco at the end because, you know, he's he's been completely hobbled. And, uh, yeah, and then... Kinski just puts him down. And he, he really does seem a little bothered by it. it. It perhaps could even be Loco is annoyed it ended so soon. All of this legend, all of this lore, he thought he was going to have a proper, really good fight, and then it just 
it was nothing. Mm. It ended so quickly that the the preceding idea of someone mm. stepped all over it. It's it's not fun. But he could have conquered and con- done so much more. I mean, um, not super comparative, but Loco reminds me a bit of the dandy from Bone Tomahawk. Mm. That we've got this. I can't think of the the character's name or anything else. But we've got this guy that boasts and brags throughout the entirety of the film of how many natives that he has has slaughtered viciously, women. And children, fairly abhorrent, terrible character, and they give some some bullshit reason. Very similar, actually, more possibly similar to Silence. That you know, my my daughter and wife, or was it his mom and sister? Somebody in his family was killed, uh, probably because they shouldn't have been where they were fucking at. Never crossed his mind, and now he's he's killed. What was it? One hundred and thirteen. We find out in that that role. And he's so nonchalant and cavalier about it. Uh, it definitely. I, at first, I was going to say it's a very great similarity to Loco, but it actually stands more true to somebody like Silence. You mean um, uh, Matthew Fox's character, um, Brute? A white white suit fellow had a beautiful yeah, gray yeah, beard. Yeah, I, outside of the dandy, I didn't know what else to call him because mm. he definitely is a Fontalroy type um, dandy, <laughs> but a very brutal, menacing character who prides himself in in how much chaos and murder his life has been seeped in. And now that I've said it out loud, I I don't think it's it's loco whatsoever. It, it's far more suitable to silence because he might not he can't brag about it. But if I'm right, and those are scalps that adorn his jacket, this person is using every ounce of themselves and the idea of their terror to make people more scared. He could actually be a better format for Michael Myers than anything else. He can't talk, and he's just this menacing, evil person that wears the hair of bad people he kills. I don't know. That just sounds <laughs> fucking worse than anybody else. That's Man, you're fucked up. You, I know therapy wasn't big back then, but holy shit. Wow. Um. Another little uh, juxtaposition between the two characters. There's a moment early on where um, Loco um, kills a guy after getting uh, some information out of him and then then writing down in his little book like uh, who he is and how much he's entitled to from the bounty. Then you see later on a silence uh, writing in a little book to communicate to uh, Pauline how much he wants to kill Loco both of these characters um, writing down things in uh, in their little books um, Loco just for his own purposes and silence to communicate but he's just communicating how much he wants to kill someone so it's like it's I, I don't know it, it struck me as a sort of um, how they're, they're they're so alike and there's just a little difference with silence that he's he's not quite aware of. <laughs> well, it's a bit like a coin being flipped. That at one point, when you flip a coin, it's going to perfectly be between both sides while it's in the air, and they they aren't aware of how similar one another is. But with the, I don't want to say defense, but almost the defense of the character Loco, he does have the sequence where he stays. You know, I'm, why should I go after him? I, if he's if somebody paid him to kill me, that's a fair job. I'm just not going to fall into his trap, and he proceeds to not. He's understood the lore and the myth. He knows that he has to draw first, and he's not going to get himself in that situation to the extent that his whole party gets killed. Everyone around him gets killed, and he still doesn't care. It's, it's a game, 
and he is triggering the game. I think he realized, um, I don't know, it's like finding out Batman's just a fucking depressed guy whose parents <laughs> died. He, You know, that's pretty much the same backstory. He found out this is a depressed guy whose parents died, and it's like if the Joker could give up on himself and kill Batman, and that really actually might work as a great reference here, because that tends to be the biggest problem between Batman and the Joker, is Batman's up his own ass, but if anybody's up their own ass even more, it's the character of the Joker. His insanity blocks him to have the clarity of being clever enough to actually get rid of Batman, but what if the Joker mm. wasn't fucking insane, and they just were, were completely adorned with their own human nature? This person knows they're a bad person, they know they kill people for a living and they can't do anything else about it. They, they're not going to be a fucking uh, libra library clerk. They're a murderer and they've made a living out of it. He isn't insane. He's just a bad, bad guy. Just a legitimate bad guy. Oh, well, well, sorry to critique your uh, your metaphor there, but... Uh... <laughs> Please do. Go go ahead. Yeah, this is just my... my, my... <laughs> my my my, ine my inevitable comic nerd chiming in is like the Joker doesn't want to kill the Batman because he's all about the game with the Batman the back and forth. Maybe your point about uh like Kinski looking disappointed at the end where he has to basically uh mercy kill um silence at the end. Um that's the kind of reaction the Joker might have because because he doesn't want to kill the Batman. It's he's not it, the difference between the Joker and Loco is Loco is all about money. Joker the Joker is all about the game. Well, that raises the question: Did Loco want him dead? He doesn't specifically go out of his way to kill him. He goes out of his way to draw him into a fight. He wants to use silences. I, why the fuck do I want to call him Shadow so goddamn bad? <laughs> I don't know, but he, he does exactly what Silence does the whole movie. He lures people into fighting and traps them into their own deaths. He's a bit of a spider that way, and Loco found the supreme joke. He figured out the greatest way to trap Silence into his own plan. You know, it's, the, it's an inversion of what he does, and he falls for it, and he falls for it with his own bravado and ego, which could mm. be something similar to, to Batman. You know, let's yeah. say Robin got hurt. Yeah, well, actually, thinking of... Th thinking well, thinking about it a bit more, um, uh, saying Loco's all about money—that's not entirely true because he, he is clearly a psychopath that like likes killing people. <laughs> like, well, it's like it's like the heat thing I said mm, earlier. It's mm. all in the juice, all the action. I think that's the kind of same thing for Loco—that it's all in the juice. Mm. The action's in the juice. He likes doing it. The money's great. It doesn't bother him, but he enjoys what. Yeah, he Yeah, and and the backdrop to. Um, to the movie is that uh, the law is coming into the town and is going to pardon these outlaws that have just been stealing for food and uh, bounty killing as a method of um, well <laughs> as a legal way of, of killing folks and making money from it is going to be uh, going by the wayside so they're trying to have all the fun that they can while they can I didn't think of it till I'm, you know, we're just talking and we're going, which is the glory and the beauty of podcasting and, and getting deep into these movies. Um, when you when you look at this kind of juxtaposition of, of the two of these characters, I do think the Joker works well, but I mean, the Riddler, the Penguin, any villain against Batman, and if you remove the idea 
um, that he wanted to kill him. Because really, what says that? Mm. What says that it's not a furthering this cat and mouse game? And it, it he when he finally went to draw his gun before the sheriff stops them in the previous sequence, I, I he he was he wasn't going for the kill. He was going for toying with him. It was just to keep exasperating mm. this situation and, and and compounding on what you just said. The law eventually is going to come in, or the army, or someone. And they're going to stop all this. So it's it's just a free for all. It's mm. children having fun almost, but they're evil children. Yeah, totally. Going back to what you said earlier, um, like the Batman analogy kind of works, but silence is the Punisher because, like, because he's not a good guy. He's he's killing people at the end of the day. Batman doesn't kill people, at least not the proper Batman, like. Affleck, you can fuck off. An interesting contrast that I think with these characters that could be driven into the movie, I'm, I'm going to pull up the book Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, 1985. And I wouldn't say it's outlandish that McCarthy may have seen The Great Silence and it could have had some influence on him. Somewhat based on real people, um, There, there's... I don't know if it's, it's 100% proof, but they existed. But, well, John Joel Clanton... Glanton, not Clanton. John Joel Glanton definitely existed. Judge Holden, which is another menacing character in the book, possibly did. This is a novel about a person named The Kid who is uh, an illiterate child who flees his home and he finds this group of bounty killers that are collecting Native American scalps and they're killing everyone, women, children, Mexicans, anyone that can fit and they're collecting the scalps in this kind of lawless era where a similar universe that this film takes place in, where bounty killers are able to masquerade as law enforcement. And you find out this character, Judge Holden, is just one of the most bizarrely evil, somewhat Colonel Kurtz-like characters that has realized uh, in their own thoughts that the human race has no value to be saved and is doing nothing but, but causing absolute terror and he is not even the leader of the group. This guy named Glanton is. And he is a very egotistical, bravado-based person who loves and is, is exasperatedly joyed by murder. And you go to the Great Silence and you look at these two characters. You could transition either or that way. But I think Klaus Kinski's character is much more similar to someone like the Judge. That he is refined. He's refined in his murder and it is pleasurable because he likes his job but what's to say when he gets off work that he acts that way as to where silence is is devoutly i think almost evil i i and i i may have the transition of characters backward but uh and i mean with blood murder and glanton and silence or back and forth but silence is doing this for joy as to where the other is doing it for money so yes loco may appear to be more of a sicker nastier person but He's just working. Silence. Yeah. This is his well, life. Um, well, well, that makes Loco further away from the Joker and makes Silence more like Batman. Because um, <laughs> this is like just to just dumb down your your literally illusion you've just come up with. Um, well, I got it backwards. <laughs> too, I, I meant to. I meant to do the illusion that Silence is more similar to the Judge, and I I fucking. I messed it all up. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, there's an episode of Batman Beyond where uh, um, Bruce, uh, who is a much older character in the future at this point, and um, he's hearing voices in his head, 
that refer to him by name as Bruce. Um, and the reason he knows that in the end that it's a villain's plot is because in his mind, he doesn't refer to himself as Bruce. He refers to himself as Batman, much like silence. He's like, he's become his legend. Jeez, we could, we could transition into bone and all with the Sullivan character there and how creepy it is when people fucking talk about themselves in the third person. Yeah, there is no identity. We and and the the a big difference between Silence and Batman is we know who Bruce Wayne is, and Bruce Wayne has to act. Mm. Um, you know, and and that takes it. Christian Bale was perfect for Batman because you really have to ask the question: Is he a, a sociopath that he can go all day and act one way and be a mm. completely different thing? Silence, on the other hand, can't do that. He is just the bat. Yeah. And maybe it would be a better villain instead of the Joker to say someone like the Riddler. But overall, you have, I mean, that's the the most infamous thing. When you say Batman, that's what comes to people's mind. The answer to Batman, the Joker. Both of those things go back and forth, and you have, it's a similar duality, but I, I, I and, and again, like my Blood Meridian one is a bit off, well, but regardless. I, I think you, uh, I mean, like, that, that that's not all interpretations of uh, Batman and the Joker. Fucking hell, we are losing we are losing listeners at an alarming rate, I bet, you know, at this juncture. We could be gaining them at this point, though. <laughs> Who knows? Like, like, like last time we threatened to do top 10 MCU films. Fucking hell. Anyway, but, but yeah, but um, I think you, you made a good point in, uh, in that comparison with Kinski at the end, where there's disappointment that this cat and mouse game has come to a, such a disappointing close. We as the audience also are fucking disappointed that this is the way things have gone. But that look in Kinski's eyes, he he kind of looks a bit gutted there. He's just gotta like lay out this guy, and that and that's yeah, there that. seemed to be a bit of pity. Like his expression really seemed pious mm. that he he was upset he had to do this because he thought he had a better contender. Mm. Not so much he's sad he killed the person, he just thought they would have been worth more as a toy, that it would have been a bit more amusement, that it's like when a child breaks something by accident. Yeah. Like, ugh. And that's very good for the character. He is a bit childlike. Yeah, it's, totally, He's yeah. amused by the yeah, easiest things, which fits in. I mean, he's a fucking sociopath, but all of them are. And that, like, Blood Meridian, that's what makes the, 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 the book so terrifying, is these are just men. And they have no value for the life of other people. And and again, I I said this was terrifying, but when Kinski utters those words, what a world. <laughs> a black man is worth as much as a white man, like that that made my blood run cold of just the, the, the game to him, how how funny it was. Well yeah, and and that goes back to that moment where he's just he's just he just killed a guy and he's writing him down in his little book so he can keep tally of um the money he's owed by all the people he's killed. And that kind of kicks back into to my idea that this is just work for him. He could be we we don't know how reprehensibly evil he is. We just know what he's like at work as yeah. to where silence this is him every single day. So I mean like he could be a, the world's best dad. I don't know. <laughs> It's hard at the end of this film to have, uh, I, I think, sympathy at all for anyone except, of course, all the people in the bar that are, are mercilessly fucking mm. shot and murdered. Yeah. How do you feel about the uh, the text crawl at the end, which uh, offers to give you some hope that uh, the events of this movie, you know, 
even though completely fictional and the outcome completely fictional, um, led to some change in this universe. I mean, there's there's a little bit of stock in that, especially bringing up the the Glanton gang and that the, he was real and he largely committed thousands of murders with his crew scalping people and bringing their bodies back in. So and that's where I, I kind of found um, a comparative nature between this and Blood Meridian because they seem kind of based in the same truth of the universe of this of, of these bounty killers. And it was a real incident. I mean, it just lasted much longer than than one winter in Utah that pretty much legalized you could just go around wasting people you could turn in scalps if it was native territory that was being cleared and they were supposed to be on a reservation you could just go scalp people and turn it into someone and you'd get money for it they didn't check who the fucking scalps were from there were no birth certificates there were no social security numbers it was a a, a, a drenched bloody brutal era of, of total chaos that mm. American history is completely founded mm. on this just unfathomable amount of blood and murder and disgust but for so many people it was just a fucking job and that's disgusting and 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 not right and not a defense to say but i think that's what makes this character so fucking terrifying is it just was a job to him yeah oh, i mean to say that uh, america is founded on uh, <laughs> such a history of violence i mean like the entire world is really i mean it's just that america had it in such a compressed form because you're such a young well we're the baby yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah so so yeah so you have more of a historical record of all the atrocities uh, our our episodes are on constant repeat for the world to play we forget about the roman empire and but still i mean it's 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 a contrast of i think individuality that these people at some point these these characters within the film they have to acknowledge right and wrong. They have to acknowledge what is right and wrong, and they've made clear-cut choices of, I'm going to collect human bodies for money. Mm. This is what I like to do. I don't want to go work at a bar. I'm going to fucking shoot people. And the only means of, of survival for silence is murder. The only way he makes money is by causing the death of somebody else. But who's to say the fucking guy he killed wasn't just doing his job? But then we can just bring up the goddamn Nazis at that point. So it's it's all a... Yeah. It's a circle jerk of negativity that has no end. Kinski's character, he's just um, he, he's just a more effective capitalist because uh, when you're presented with you can bring these people in dead or alive, it as he says so himself, it's a lot easier to bring them in dead. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about Snoop Doggy Dog rolling down the street, smoking Nindo, sipping on gin and juice, laid back. I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. And that that's loco. He is, yeah, the whole first verse did the whole thing. <laughs> but it's it's a great quote for that character of no matter, and here's capitalism, no matter how evil it may appear, it's not about death. It's not about you. It's just about money. That's all that matters. Mm, yeah, completely. Uh, and it's uh, that that really at the end of this, at the end of this film, you have to question these characters, no matter how much you like silence. Something was kind of fucking wrong with that guy. He's just traveling across the country nomadically, 
brutally murdering people for what he thinks is the betterment of society, but you're you're just collecting money off someone's brother, son, sister, you know, whomever you're killing. You're just killing people. Hmm. You can't, two wrongs don't make a right sort of situation, and that really is the ultimate ending of this yeah. film is yeah, two wrongs just get everybody killed. Yeah, but um, <laughs> from the perspective of the uh, the sheriff, like, no, uh, <laughs> like, a right doesn't make a right either because he tries to um, he tries to, to do the quote unquote right thing in this society and gets fucking killed for it as well. And you have to look at who's controlling above all of this. The sheriff was really sort of a proxy that was sent in to mm. serve yeah. no purpose. Yes. I think the you know the governor was behind on this. This is territory. The long run of the the story is the governor wants this territory as well. So we've got one Weasley guy working for the governor's procuring all this territory, and everyone else are just puppets that have. No clue this will lead to their own demise. And then you you have this ultimate question at the end of the movie, did any of it matter? No, and no not nothing all. anyone did. Yeah, not, not, not a one thing Despite mattered. what the closing text might have you believe. And it's still five stars. Like, a, a high, highest regard, this is a perfect Western, perfect mm. film. It's, it's, it's starkly beautiful. Yeah. And, and I put no merit in star ratings. I, I think they're arbitrary, and I say that on every episode, but truly highest regard for this film. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so emotional that you can't help, but, and as we have for the last two hours, I mean, imagine on your own, you just sit and reflect on this without us telling you what to think. <laughs> There's so much that you can look into. Yeah. Despite the uh, several bloopers um, that have been pointed out to me by the uh, the three commentaries on the disc, it's still a masterfully made movie. Ooh, you got to tell us the bloopers now. Uh, in the opening credit sequence, you can see people skiing behind <laughs> Silence as he rides through the snow. You can definitely see that they shot that scene a couple times too, a little bit toward the south, mm. because there are some very present foot trip, pr- footprints rather of the horses. Yeah. Um... One of the first guys that he shoots um, blinks whilst uh, lying there dead with blood in his face. Um, there's a clearly visible net on the the camera lens, which was apparently oh yeah for for like the first five yeah. minutes of the apparently movie placed there to yeah. stop the camera freezing. Um, and I, you know, there's lots of out of focus shots, but you know, they're out in the fucking snow, like you know, it's you know, they did the best they could and they, they made an incredible film. What are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure with precision and digital shit now, you could get these oh, gorgeous, that, pristine right, that's, shots. That, that's but not yeah, interesting. That's, like, just get not in the least yeah. bit. I mean, what works is what you have on mm. screen here because it, it literally are, are once in a lifetime shots and chances, and, and so many of the performances in this movie. We're we're riding on. We can't fuck this scene up because it's gonna fuck the snow up. And it's it's genuine. It's pressure. It's true. And it, it's you know Kubrick did shit like that, but it works. Yeah, and, and, and yes, there are all those um, those um, those sequences uh, on set where the sets are covered in shaving foam. But you know, what can I do? I didn't know it was shaving foam until the fucking commentaries told me it was. So you know, sometimes it's better not to know. I guess. Yeah, I, I heard Alex Cox say it and then started going back and looking up scenes, which interestingly enough can bring us into the multiple endings. Ah, yes. Well, I have a bit of um, a bit of trivia about that. Um, 
the original uh, shooting script did have a happy ending along the same lines of the alternate happy ending. But whilst they were shooting it, they came to the conclusion, and rightly so, I would argue, that um, that ending is fucking ridiculous. So they shot the ending, which is the actual ending. Um, Then at the behest of the producers, shot an alternative happy ending, but did it with uh, without sufficient coverage to make it appear as ridiculous as it clearly is so that they couldn't really use it so uh yeah and other than that there is another alternate ending which is just a re-edit of the actual ending which has um silence having had his both of his hands shot sort of at the mercy of Kinski, but Kinski doesn't do anything, and it and and Finne, the words uh, just descend upon the screen, and then that's that. And we're supposed to think that that's ambiguous because, you know, what's he going to do? Well, clearly Kinski's going to fucking do what he did in the ending and kill him and kill all of the outlaws yeah, anyway. So I don't see how that's any better. It's just less satisfying. Why the fuck would? Kinski let anyone go. Have you been watching the movie? Like, the guy likes fucking killing people. <laughs> I think the only way that ending would make sense is if you put a lot of credence into the fact that it's a game for him and that he wanted to rightfully win the game, but he doesn't seem like anyone that would have any form of honor or any sense of it. Murdering everyone's... All, like, why? He's not going to get the money. Everything that this character has been driven by is the fact that he wants the fucking money on their heads, and there's a bounty on every person. And that's what makes the ending as it is so remarkable is that you think this game is done and he seems despondent. He seems almost hurt by the fact that silence is dead. But immediately after that, he orders every person, I mean, maybe 25, 30 people to be shot at point blank range because there is a bounty on all of their heads and they're all worth something at that Mm -hmm. point. And as you pointed out earlier, he finds it much easier when they're dead. Well, lot. yeah, he, he he like his one of his final lines is, "We'll come back later." Like they're all worth X amount of money, you know. They can't take them now. I guess they'll, I don't know, make some sort of arrangements to go to come back and pick the bodies up because there's like there's no one left in the town. Everyone's fucking dead. And the sheriff surviving doesn't work because we don't see it. You can't show something that triumphant that at the end of the day he's going to survive without some scene of his fucking hand coming out of the ice or something like that. It doesn't work. None of it works. It doesn't work, but uh, the one charitable thought I had to it watching it today was um, Kinski waves the sheriff's horse away. You could argue that you know maybe the sheriff got out and his horse didn't go that far because Kinski seems awfully concerned with like making a beeline to his mates in their cabin to bring them back into town to uh, take on silence and, and uh, all that. I think the the biggest reason the endings don't work is, is there's no sense to silence furthering his character. So now he gets the girl, and they're just going to travel romantically around the country fucking killing people because he got paid for mm. it. Where does that story go? There, there, there is a triumphant 
decapitation of pretty much the idea of white knights in this movie that he thinks he's doing really good. He thinks he's being productive to society and making the world a better place, but he's just a white knight and he gets his head served to mm. him at the end of the day because it's all in yeah. vain. You were only doing things to establish your ego. At this point, what revenge are you even seeking? You're just murdering people over and over again and causing the same disdain and hatred to be formed in other people that have felt your situation. Like you're you're an abuser abuse you're you've been abused, but you're an abuser abusing perpetually. Yeah, and by that point you could argue that he's already taken uh revenge on behalf of Pauline anyway, because he's killed Polycott, who hired Loco t- to kill her husband anyway. So like and as Loco has repeatedly said throughout the movie, he's just doing his job. I mean, the fact that he is a fucking nut, he's a, he's a sociopath that, uh, that takes pleasure in doing such an awful thing, you know, is by the by, that's the world he lives in. And everyone at that extent can kind of be put in the same category as just bad. I mean, you have somebody who is, is killing somebody because they want to fuck their wife, but then the wife turns around and just wants another murder in that place. At the end of the day, it's genocide, and that's the the big thing perpetuated throughout this movie. That whether it be the bounty killers, whether it be Shadow, God damn it, that's not his name. But as I'm bringing up Shadow, there are some similarities between these characters and American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Silence, on the other hand, all of them are genocidal maniacs, and at the end of the day, I don't know if it's so much a thinly veiled jab, but I think deeply as many many italian exploitation films are this is a jab at american politics mm. that it's all the totally. same beast i mean it's the same hydra all, all it's all these evil fucking heads that are existing and all of them think that their individuality is something better and stronger mm. and that they're doing something for people but at the end of the day they're only doing it for money yeah just like Cannibal Holocaust, <laughs> it's about how the Americans are fucking off. Yeah, well, you made the uh, the point earlier about um, in American politics, you know, in a two party system, it's just different shades of shit, basically, and it's the same thing here. And uh, you have the situation now where um, the Labour Party um, trying to get back in after a ruinous. 12 years of um, uh, conservative rule and they are without a doubt the bad guys but they're on a slippery slope to being like silence they're just they're just going about things the same way that the conservatives do Um, and then (laughs) in another way like silence where where they uh, you know they, they had a chap um, Corbin, who's like, uh, like, like Bernie in uh, on your side of the pond, and his own party just ate him alive, basically, like uh, threw him to the wolves. Yeah, like silence was uh, annihilated at, at the end of the, of uh, his his movie, because, well, I mean, you know, to take a charitable reading of silence, him standing up to the system. Well, he st- he 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 stood up to the system, but he. Uh, inevitably became the system. He stood up to it to to fight against it and became the same beast. Well, yeah. yeah. Silence stood up to the system despite operating within it, thinking he was apart from it. Um, 
where it doesn't really tally with my metaphor um, it, with UK politics because cause these fuckers know exactly what they're doing and they're trying to make themselves seem like the same thing as the other guys but the other guys are just so fucking completely useless at this point that uh, they're trying to like pick up their supporters by looking like a more effective version of it well, certainly I think the same thing can be said for the United States and to uh, much aghast of the audience. I don't think Bernie Sanders is even that um, untouchable. I don't think he's the, the great savior that everyone considers him to be. And, and you know, hey, I that's that, w- that would have been my vote. It was my vote. That's, that's all that mattered to me. But when Bernie Sanders lost the presidential fucking run all that money every cent that had been donated to him he turned around and he bought a new vacation house with that money he turned and got himself something with that money so what makes him any different than loco and what makes silence any different that these people believe their own hype and i'm not fucking turning you against bernie sanders man and i don't want anyone in our audience to be like hey what the fuck harry that's you're getting getting a little alex jonesy with these statements <laughs> It's just that it's 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 you put your face. Spaghetti in the- westerns are turning the frogs gay. That's <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the Italians. But you you have these like these 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 false fucking prophets, and you believe in them because they're blue and they're red or they're labor. You you have these little triggers and names. They're the Green Party, so they're gonna be good for the environment, right? No, the Green Party wants to nuke the atmosphere because it turns the frogs gay. All- <laughs> It's 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 all the same fucking monster, and you have the individuality of these characters. One person fighting for good. I'm killing evil people by killing people that kill people, and then you have the the quote unquote bad guys who are killing people because they're being paid to kill people. But at the end of the day, it's just about fucking killing people. So left, right, all this money doesn't matter. You and and this holds true to my statement about work. We watch Loco. He's at work. Well, that's what Bernie Sanders was doing when he ran for president. That's work. It's a job. That's what Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and JFK and every other person in the 46 notes that have filled the United States presidency, that's all Mm -hmm. they do. They say the one thing, they do the other. It's all the same head. Where does the money go? Where does the power go? It's just this fucking useless circle jerk. And and it's perpetuated beautifully with this movie because you get to the very final scene and you can immediately start it over Mm. again. And it's just almost an ideal, perfect, vain loop of this attempt to succeed further in a society that has built upon failure. No matter how many people you kill or what reason you kill them for, you're still a fucking killer. <laughs> mm. Last time I rewatched it, I was uh, it struck me with uh, <laughs> thinking of uh, like framing this this film in modern politics with uh, Kinski with his like mane of blonde hair. Can we can we relate uh, Kinski to a, a certain former president? But I'm not sure we I'm not sure we can. Uh, well. Uh, well, because well, Kinski's what, loco, he's kind of straight about what he's doing. I mean, uh, other than you know 
lying to people's mothers that he's not going to kill their sons and then doing exactly yeah, he's, that. He's not a power struggle. Like, it doesn't seem yes. like that. He doesn't he does, want power. No, he, he doesn't want, want to be a god. He just wants to make money and kill people. He's quite a, quite a simple guy. Well, you could argue that Silence, on the other hand, wants power. He likes his reputation. Mm. You have that old woman whose son was killed at the beginning of the film telling him about him, and he's prideful on it. Mm. He's standing there smoking his cigar like, fuck yeah, I'm the Avenger. I'm the guy that's going to, I'm I'm the Dark Knight. I'm the Batman. I'm going to make everything okay. And he's 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 built himself upon that. I mean, it's the fucking Michael Myers stuff. It's just... You get told by this asshole doctor for 40 fucking years you're evil until finally you break out of prison. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to kill some people because I'm evil. Yeah, and uh, much like when uh, I took acid at a festival and uh, (laughs) started feeling a bit out of sorts, but reassured myself that uh, I could handle it because I'm I'm Captain America, goddammit, despite being from Britain. And then... Went to the toilet, and the orange wall of the toilet told me in no uncertain terms, You're not Captain America, though, are you, Linus? I did acid. Uh, I got really, really, really fucked up, and I was convinced that an ice machine was Don Rickles. And just a few <laughs> days beforehand, Don Rickles had passed away, and my my buddy was really concerned. He was like, "Harry, you're 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 trying to pay this ice machine. Do you want ice? Do you want to put money into it?" And I was trying to pay it to fuck off because it was attacking me verbally and just. Uh, and I knew he was dead. I was like, "I know it's not really Don Rickles, but this ice machine's really fucking me off." So I was just throwing dollar bills at it to put it away. And that has nothing to do with your story, though. I mean, yours actually made sense. Mine was just an addendum. You know, of, going uh, off on a on a on a tangent. Uh, Don Rickles is a character in uh, uh, DC Comics, uh, the Fourth World series. Um, Jack Kirby's uh, uh, interlinking uh, series of uh, New Gods, Mr. Miracle, oh God, the Forever People, um, Jimmy Olsen. Is there another one? Or is that all that? Yeah, no. Does he insult everyone? Is he really? Yeah, pretty rude? much. He just he just shows up as a character. I think I think he's in the Jimmy Olsen comic because um, yeah, it's a weird time for comics in the in the seventies where uh, Jack Kirby, despite having uh, you know created the Marvel universe and gotten <laughs> little of the credit for it thanks to Stanley, um, found himself in uh, in DC and. Uh, launched what could have been you know an an incredible run of um uh one incredible like sub universe of the dc universe um through fucking <laughs> the title superman's pal jimmy olsen um yeah it's very strange and then they ultimately got cancelled because uh they were too weird but they're fucking amazing 
Yeah, Stan Lee is the most celebrated art thief of all time. Yeah, you kind of like him, though. Like, he's a... Well, even a weirder draw with this is is it's one of the uncomfortable things with, with The Great Silence is at the end of it, and especially with Reflection, I don't hate Loco. I kind of appreciate his hustle. He's just working. He's getting his job done. Very similar to Stan Lee. He cut some fucking throats and destroyed some careers. But hey, you know what? Well, he, uh, it's Stan well, Lee. I don't know about destroyed some careers, but... He definitely kicked some people from the fucking top. <laughs> he, he he knocked some people down he some pay some grades. some credit for some stuff he didn't do. Let's just leave it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the accusations against Klaus Kinski. Some things are better left to the audience Googling them on their own after the episode. Well, well, <laughs> let, let's just just make it plain. Stanley didn't do anything <laughs> nearly that oh, bad. Oh, yeah, no. Jeez. No, 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 Stanley actually was not a member of the Nazi party, <laughs> so don't worry. It's just, just Walt Disney, Henry Ford, and Klaus Kinski. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now, technically, let me correct myself, that Walt Disney and Henry Ford were not members of the Nazi party, but they were awarded the highest non-military award personally by Adolf Hitler, and they accepted it both. Henry Ford kept his award from Hitler on his desk until the day he died, and I hope every moment of the end of his life was filled with pain and suffering. And that even pain and suffering that ties back into the goddamn great <laughs> silence. That this is a, I I would I think it's an extra. Yeah, it's 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 a movie of pure Garmin Bosia. It's it's a black it's a black metal western. Well, black metal for me is about it's all about defeat, usually epic defeat. And I mean, this is a series of defeats, but I don't know. Would you say this is an epic defeat, or is is this an epic movie, or is it? I think the movie's epic, but I don't think the defeat mm. is epic. I, I I would find it an opposition of it because at the end of the movie, it's so defeating, it's mm. so lethargic almost. You're expecting this this grand, beautiful, merciless, bloody scene, and it's yeah. pathetic. You've been yeah. built upon the 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 edges of this entire time, and silence yeah. is nothing. He's and and but and that's even a better comparative uh, comparison. Even with like American politics, he is whomever the next president is or last. Every time, doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. You are like, this is it. This is the president. They're gonna do everything for me, and they well, don't do shit. That's another take on the Great Silence, isn't it? You could you know translate it as the big nothing. I mean, that even is a, a a better way to look at it, that at the end of it, it's all so entirely entangled in being vain. Your, your purpose doesn't matter. I mean, imagine being the son of the woman whose husband was killed and pays $1,000 for this guy. Guy fucks your mom and then gets them both killed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so that's the American. That's the American citizen. So I mean, you are the son of these people. That's like fucking great, awesome. I guess my dad got avenged, and now I don't get health care. Thanks. But yes, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. It's it it's a black metal western. It's it's covered in snow. It's just lacking, and <laughs> it's it's just it's just lacking uh, immortal on the soundtrack. 
<laughs> and if you really want to uh, be a stickler for black metal, there is a lot of fascism. Mm, well, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or especially if you want to be cult, you, you, <laughs> you can't ever forget about Burzum. No matter how much the world would like to forget about Burzum, you can't. Yeah. And it's, that's the thing. Who, who, who would be the Varg in this, in this situation? I would think it would be Silence. He's just fucking going around killing people, killing the lead singer and the guitar. Yeah, <laughs> he's, all right, he's all right, okay. In, in, in this metaphor, down. then, um, then, ooh, I don't know though. Um, that would that would make uh, silence euronymous, but would it? Neither of them are, are. Are I mean, either could be, I guess, between each other because they're both fucking yeah, awful yes. people. <laughs> That's what it's going for. So I think to answer your question, I would I would deeply say it's an epic movie, and and in turn of of what we see and what we're presented with, but I think it is a perfect movie. It's very rare that you can come across something that would be perfect, but I I think it's as perfect as I'd want a movie to be because I like the rough edges, you know. I think that's what's complimentary about the movie. It really forces you to to sit back. You finish this and you can't directly move on to something else. This is a movie that's going to ruminate and be left Hell in yeah. your head. And, and and as we've been doing the last two hours, we've we've turned so much dirt that I think there's a, a, almost an infinite perspective of what you can take for the characters and what you can take for this movie. But I said at the beginning, and I'll say it at the end here, it certainly isn't nihilistic. I think this movie has so much more to offer on on a perfect example of what capitalism is and, and, and a great trajectory of looking at, especially coming soon in the United States, we'll have a presidential election. This is it. Are you going to vote for the murderer or a murderer? It it doesn't make a difference. They're both going to be doing murder. It doesn't matter who lives. If Silence had lived, he would just keep fucking killing people. And Loco lived, and he's just going to fucking kill people. You know, I'd rather, like, Fanette and McGee didn't get killed because she's lovely. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, I think, one of the most disheartening things. And how blase this character Loco feels about life and death. That it, it didn't matter. It was just another scalp. It was just another body. Yeah, and that shot with uh, Loco's reflection in the saloon window, and you can see the bodies of the outlaws in the background. Super haunting. And possibly reflects 
Loco's dissatisfaction with the outcome of the events of the movie. Well, he doesn't want to play games. I mean, mm. you have the, the, the scene where Silence is truly starting to toy with him, and he throws a match in his mm. whiskey, and then he throws a cigar in his whiskey, and he says, I, I know about you, and you're not going to make me angry that yeah. quickly. He wanted it to mm. linger, and it, it makes the almost entirety of the movie futile at that point once you realize it because it doesn't matter the outcome he was still ju- it's it's all about mm. games it's not about politics it's not about power it's just playing with dead bodies <laughs> yeah certainly loco you can see it in his eyes he doesn't look chuffed with the outcome he's not like chuckling that he's 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 beaten the good guy and uh he gets to ride off into the sunset he's uh he just looked kind of disappointed. Well, instead of marking his name down in his book because he can't really get money, he takes his gun. Mm. He takes the next best thing and he picks it up and he looks at it and he just, that's the end of the movie. He rides yeah. off with that gun. That's all it was worth. It and was that a trophy. underlines that that bit of technology was what gave Silence the upper hand. And Silence wasn't this great hero. The villain can now take the thing that gave the hero the advantage and go off and you know and 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 do some awful shit with it so so it's not like captain america's shield or thor's hammer fucking hell what am i what am i talking about but yeah it's 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 this iconic weapon but but it's but it's just a fucking weapon that that uh that allows people to murder people more efficiently well it almost seems like it's a trophy and I don't, I mean, oh, it, I, it, I guess it's it, comparison it totally to like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's his equivalent of Sully's hair from Bones and All. It's, it's, it's a trophy. It's a serial killing trophy. He's taken it with him, but I'm sure a part of him knows it's a weapon of mass destruction. But I think overall it was just sort of vanquishing. And, and I, the entire point of the story is this was the West. This mm. is politics. This is how it is. One person will kill the other person. And they're gone. They're not part of the election. They're not part of power. They're not part of whatever you want to, um, you know, tr- uh, put your ideology on, whatever your your thought on on the overall movie is here. But it certainly isn't hopeless. It it ends or it is. I'm sorry. It certainly isn't nihilistic, but it is hopeless. And I think there's a huge difference between those two things because nihilism would almost convey that there's no point. And there is a point to yeah. all of this, and the point is the eternal mm. struggle. Oh, yeah. Um, I read a review earlier today that said um, the point of the movie was that, uh, you know, true heroism is, uh, <laughs> is, is struggling on, like, when there's no guarantee of a win, but, like... I, 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 and I think that's bullshit. Like... <laughs> like but... Uh, but, no, this is, this is like a sort of... Um, shakespearean tale where it, it it's a, it, it's a tragedy like because um the outcome is just the results of the, all of the actions taken by the characters it's really quite tightly pro- plotted because there is no um last minute save as was originally t- intended perhaps in the script and then filmed in a uh, lackluster manner so that they didn't have to include that scene in the, the final cut. I mean, you can uh, even in consideration of something like Robert Eggers' most recent film yeah. has a, an increasingly yeah, exactly. similar ending. Um, yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, it's just the valiance of of the fight, and sometimes it's it's the arc of the characters, not so much the overall arc of the story. But you look at Shadow; what better way for him to be vanquished than in the sort of battle he was? Silence, uh, at the end of- not Shadow. Silence, son <laughs> of a bitch. But silence was—he's humbled, you know. He he mm. gets that ending of you aren't the mm. best, but it's not that anyone's better than anyone else. It's just, um, you know, like uh, at the beginning of the fucking exorcist, you've got Marin sitting with the mm. imam, and the imam says to him when when he looks upon the scroll and the face of Pazuzu, evil fighting mm. evil. That's what it is. This is this is just evil fighting evil on a perpetual force of. The, the Obadobros, the fucking dragon biting its own tail. Nothing will end. It's perpetuated always by its own vanity and hatred. Yeah, the difference with the Northman is that uh, he his, uh, I mean, he, he's bought into his own hype and his own legend too, and he never has his bubble burst. Um, he gets to complete his quest and, uh, you know, like meet his end in an appropriate manner, at least in an appropriate manner as far as he's concerned. But at the end of the day, they're all dead. Like there's, there's no, no winning. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, yeah, it, it, it's just absolution. One lives, one doesn't, and Loco walks away. And unfortunately, more often than not, in our world and every other one, evil tends to triumph. It doesn't yeah. mean it's good, doesn't mean it's better, but... It's 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 evil. Evil always will overtake, and it's this film. What hmm. makes it unique is that there is no struggle of good versus evil. It's just evil fighting <laughs> itself, and there is no winner. There is no loser. It's it's so dark hmm. in that sense. You can't help yeah, but love it. But it's um well, it's it's capitalism, isn't it? It's like the the game is rigged, and uh, the victor is the person that can rig it even more in their favor. And that kind of takes us back to Batman and the Joker, and that's why the Joker never kills the Batman, because it's fun for him. When you when you train that into more of a capitalistic perspective, there is no fun. You have to kill the Batman. So there's more of an ultimate reality with this. The, the fun is stripped away, because what if the Joker killed Batman? Where would mm. the fun be? Well, he'd probably look like Kinski does at the end of this movie. I guess the alarming thing with that is is it kind of shows the, the lack of power. Like, you assume somebody like the Joker or Lex Luthor or, let's, let's say, Loco, them winning could could be world-ending, like a James Bond mm. villain. But in this sense, it's just evil perpet. I mean, I keep repeating myself, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just jerking itself mm. off. It's just continuing to fucking exist on I'll the world. what, though, that moment between um, Silence's demise and uh, like the outlaws like knowing that they're fucked is completely crushing, like way more so than them actually getting killed. <laughs> I think what works on, on all axis of this movie is everything is crushing. Every performance, every piece of exposition, when you start seeing the reactions of everyone's actions everyone uh, everyone feels through their character that they are doing the right thing and all they do is make it worse especially mm. silence uh, it's it's something about the the sympathy of the story and it might be uh, furthering more into the duality of all these characters but you have an innocent in this uh, she's somebody that that had nothing to do with either of their 
body games pretty much and that's all it is they're just collecting status or stats rather at this point that she's someone that was interjected in between and maybe it's a part of why I don't like the romance that I feel her character was more used than anything else by by everyone mm. that she's being used because one character kills her husband to have sex with her and then somebody else who has already established kind of as a bad guy has sex with her that she doesn't have a standing point as her own character that everyone uses her but that's just kind of even pushing more the politics of the average person will be used by mm. whatever being yeah sure okay mm. from what I've read and what I've heard in the commentaries uh, their decision to go with the damn B ending um was influenced by the assassination of Che Guevara, or, or Kobuchi uh, referred to him as be, as being someone that stands up to um, an unfair system and gets chewed up by it. But does that really apply in this case? Um, certainly, silence stands up to an unfair system, but he's kind of made himself part of that system or a, a sort of adjacent system that's part of the same system he's not raging against anything he's perpetuating it he he has mm. joined into it and has found uh, a corner where he can prey upon capitalism while at the same time permitting himself to be the same things as his enemy and I, I think I'm sure there's plenty of people that will have issues with Che Guevara and there'll be some ringing voice going, well, he killed homosexuals and, you know, he didn't like women that much. But when you look at, at Che Guevara and his rebellion, it wasn't for just a specific cause. Now, of course, yes, communism, that was the big thing behind it. But his revolution was a revolution for the people and a system that would have been run by the people, where people are allowed to exist in a better world. I don't think either of of Silence nor Loco want a better world. They like the depravity. Neither of them could operate or hunt in a better world as to where Che didn't want to fight. He was tired. I mean, guerrilla warfare wasn't a way of life. Guerrilla warfare was a way of survival. Yeah, like he's, he's more like the... The Outlaws uh, in this movie. And I didn't mean to bring up uh, Shade purely as a political point. This is just a quote. That I've I heard. like his hat. <laughs> yeah, sure. He looks nice in posters. Um, this is just a quote I've heard secondhand, admittedly, that, um, from Corbucci. You're entirely correct. Um, both of uh, Silence and Loco have kind of found their place within this system. They're not trying to overthrow it. Silence gets to kill people and feel righteous about it. Loco gets to kill people and make money from it and enjoy the act of doing so. Either end of the machine is incredibly dangerous and does not care about the better of society. And that's the Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of Christmas, actually, ladies and gentlemen. And God bless us, everyone.
It's it's definitely a dark ending, but I don't know. It, I I really struggle to think of what could be better. And I mean, I mean that like encompassing every movie. Really, what ending could be better than The Great Silence? You have the last hour and 38 minutes thrown back in your face, just just absolute mud and blood, piss all of this just stinging your senses and your eyes and it's beautiful and makes you better for it i think the experience is just just starkly art i think every single thing about this movie is art and there's no argument for me on that it's just it, beyond it being gorgeous it, it's so cynical when it comes to what questions you have to ask yourself when you finish watching this movie and i adore that i love having to question myself yeah um well, it's the sort of logical conclusion of uh, the feeling I was getting from from watching a lot of well, well, from watching the Leone westerns, where uh, you know these characters have typical good and bad guy roles, but they're not typical good and bad guy characters, but they still portray the roles. And the Great Silence the characters are just allowed to be the characters and the conclusion is a natural conclusion of these characters interacting the way that they do it's not a an overall world saving thing it's just sort of a day in the life i think you're you're just given absolute emotion here and far more than the average western in general i mean this is a revisionist western movie but when you try to compare it or you look at things like i was earlier with stagecoach i would almost argue this this is a better picture i mean stagecoach is is beautiful and it's some of the archetypes of what western movies ended up looking like and you, you just can't beat john ford there's no way in hell you can't beat somebody like john ford but when you are 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 faced with so many questions like this movie. I mean, Corbucci didn't dabble deeply in art like Fellini did, but fucking A. I mean, this this is pretty up there with something like, I mean, Eight and a Half is a movie about an artist dealing with their own art, and, and, and what difference would this movie be of both of these people, artists of death, dealing with the own morose nature of what art they purvey? Yeah, it's it it's a spaghetti black metal noir western, and uh, you know it's it's perfect pure cinema. Absolutely ideal for this holiday season, and that's what you have been joining us with. It's Christmas. It's time for everyone to join hands together and accept the absolute fucking darkness. That's a nihilistic ending. That doesn't sound... That's that. That's not the go-to ending. We, we gotta do a, a happy ending, a fake happy ending, and then the one where we all die. That, that's <laughs> the proper way for, for Christmas to end. Yeah, well, it, there's the ending where uh, where the, those trite uh, <laughs> self-help memes that uh, will increasingly be shared around this time of year um, somehow ring true. They they jump in uh, to the situation at the last minute despite having drowned in the uh, the icy water and saved the day. Um, and the, and 
perhaps there's the ending where we're cut off mid-sentence and you have to think that, you know, maybe it's not all bad. The don't stop believing ending? <laughs> right, right when this that's what's happening, I'm about to sit down and have some nice onion rings and Linus is parking terribly and walking across the four-way and we're going to cut. I like the death ending. I think that's the way that the show should end. Somebody's just got to break in through the door and shoot us. Yeah. There's the happy ending. I mean, the happy Christmas ending is where we'd go, well, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Despite all of this nihilism, what we ask you is to individually think for yourself. Look at the machines that are running this world. It's almost like we're lost in the matrix. You as an individual, you can choose from wrong and right. You can do better. Remember, vengeance isn't always the path. And as the Klingon said, it's a dish best served cold. See, that's like, that's the, the happy ending. Even a fucking Star Trek quote. I mean, come on, that's good. <laughs> I think in the end, though, everything's gonna turn out right. You have been listening to the Death by DVD Christmas special. When you get to the end of all of this, I, I think the message I want to convey the most is just fucking watch this movie. The Great Silence. I don't care if you consider it a Christmas movie or not, but goddamn if it's not great. And and it really, on all calibers, you can look at it as a horror movie, a thriller movie, a noir movie. It has everything. It, it really covers every single base, and I, I am aghast. Every time I get to the end of this film, it'll never not satisfy me. Mm. Yeah, well, going back to uh, my original point, stemming from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and the discussion of what constitutes a Christmas movie, 
whatever is a Christmas movie to you is a Christmas movie. And in some ways, this is an anti-Christmas movie because it's all about misery and hopelessness. But uh, it's got a lot of snow and it's nearly Christmas and we're talking about it. So fuck you, it's a Christmas movie. And regardless, it's a fucking great movie and everyone should watch it. And with that, Merry Christmas. From Death by DVD and everyone involved, we hope you, yours, your family, and everyone else is not chained up and locked inside a bar about to be shot to death by Klaus Kinski. <laughs> this has been the Death by DVD 2022 Christmas special. Thank you for choosing death. Be sure to subscribe at deathbydvd.com for email updates, merch discounts, and more pertaining to everything death. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Hive. That's the new one. Find us on Hive. We're also on Slasher. And be sure to jog over to listen to deathbydvd.transistor.fm and check out our people page, who's who on Death by DVD. Find Linus Fitness Center's social media, mine, Justin from Watch Skip Plus, I, Alexander Nash, everyone's available there. Mary Sparrow, get to know the cast and crew of Death by DVD. This is it. This is the end. We'll be back next year. Thank all of you for joining us for the 38 episodes that came out this year for Death by DVD. We're hoping for a bigger, better, stronger, nastier new year. Cheers. Thank you so much, Linus. Merry Christmas, motherfucker. That's it. The show's over. All of you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced.
The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. sistema moderno y eficaz que ya se entiende por todas partes y que nos ha convertido en un banco directo grande, el más grande del mundo. No será su mundo.